Oh no. Martha? Go! Martha? 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 You, you oh. scared her off. <laughs> no! Martha, Martha, come back! Martha, Martha come, come back! Can you hear me now? Yay! Yes. Hello, and welcome back to Catching Up David. I am not Hello. David. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework? The pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. I... I'm not Pete or Martha, but I am David. I'm catching up, David, and, and I am Martha. Are Pete and Martha? <laughs> Hooray! Hooray. Uh, it's another. And we also have Hallie and Kristen. Hello, Hallie. Hello, David. Hello, Kristen. David, Pete, and Martha. Hello. And we also have my co-host Pete. Hello, I'm Pete. <laughs> <laughs> this is going great. This has been a weird round. We are so good. We got there. We got all the introductions with only. We a did get there, and we've only done this like four times. Yeah. <laughs> it's a crossover episode. Yay! Ooh. Hey. Welcome back to catching up on your homework. Woohoo! It is. Which is better or worse than did you do your David? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we are <laughs> bringing you all another fantastic crossover episode um, in honor of Hayao Miyazaki's latest uh, wide release feature animated film, The Boy and the Heron, or as it is titled in Japanese, How Do You Live, which I think is a much better title. Agreed. Um, but before we get to that, and listeners, we are going to get to that. Uh, we are going to run through a real quick stuck in our heads this week uh, so we can all give a brief rundown of the pop culture or media that has uh, that we've been stuck on for the past week. Um, David, why don't you kick us off? All right. Well, we are recording this in December of 2023. And a thing that I've been doing every year for the past two or three years now is... I try to listen to only music that's been released over the past year in the December of that year. Hmm. So I get to catch up on all of the great albums that people have put out that uh, I have usually not gotten to. Um, Cause I used to be really, I used to be really on top of new releases and listen to new music all the time. And as I've gotten older, I've just found some favorites that I go back to pretty often preach uh, december is the, the choir year. there yeah december is the year that uh, th that this, december is the month, <laughs> the month rather there you go that i uh that i try and go back and check out all the things that came out this year so um been listening to a lot of boy genius yeah. had an album come out that it's very good uh 100 gex has a incredibly strange and fun album eva ray has an album out that is um uh, did that disturbing come out this year <laughs> jeez uh the new fever ray came out in march oh boy well I, I was listening to boy genius at the time so no wonder i forgot that sure. happened yeah <laughs> uh, and there's a band called feeble little horse that i've liked a lot as well this year so um 
<laughs> Not to mention Andre 3000's new flute album, which I've listened to a lot, actually. <laughs> how how do you figure out, like, what to be listening to? Are you, like, as as music websites are putting out their bests of, are you sort of, like, trawling those? Or throughout the year, are you sort of, like, taking note of, like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, you know, Fever Ray has a new album out. I'm not listening to it now, but I'll, I'll like, keep an, keep an app, no, uh, like a notes app note going to check it out in December. Like, do you have a a way to keep track of that? Um, so usually what I do is I just wait for the best of list to come out. Mm-hmm. I have a, one of my best friends from college is a, uh, is a music critic and hmm. writer who writes for a variety of sites. And I always, you know, starting like midway through November, I'm always hitting him up for what are your albums of the year look like? What is, mm-hmm. you know, and he, and he writes, makes lists to, um, put out a list recently that was like the best ambient albums of the year and like i don't listen to a lot of ambient music but um i check out the 10 best albums that is set aside for me sure absolutely i'll do that (laughs) and uh see what that's like so um yeah mostly mostly it's um checking out the few websites that i go to for my music news yeah and uh seeing what they like the best this year and then uh listening to them all the time throughout the month i should maybe start doing that like like you i used to be more on top of current music and then it's like i love boy genius so that apparently my spotify rap told me was the top album that i listened to this year uh heavily in march and april um there you go but yeah expanding that it like having december as like a recap of the year is a, is a smart idea yeah yeah i, yeah. I have been thinking oh, ahead, about Martha. it Oh, I was just going to say, I've been thinking about it, and I don't listen to a lot of music during the year. I mostly listen to podcasts and audiobooks. And I think one of my goals for next year is to listen to more music. Um, Because I do enjoy it. It just doesn't end up being a listening priority for me. Um, So I, like will poke around the best songs or best albums that people put out at the end of the year and kind of dip my toe in and be like, yeah, that's pretty good. And then just never think about it again. <laughs> um, but yes, I do think that I would like to make music more a part of my like ambient existence. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I'm sort of the opposite. I used to be really into podcasts and for past few years i've those have slowly trickled out of my life and been replaced with um (laughs) mostly my 80s playlist but (laughs) in (laughs) december uh this is the time for all new things so finally time to listen to taylor swift's midnights That came out oh, that the last, last year. year album. But you can listen kidding? to 1989 Taylor's version, which had five songs I did. from the vault. I listened to that while I was at the gym on the rowing machine the other day. Oh, it's a great gym album. It's a great running album. It's, Kristen. It's a great album, period. Yes. 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 Kristen, what is stuck in your head this week? I don't know if this counts because it isn't something I've actually seen. But somebody told me about the 1997 movie Event Horizon and briefly summarized it for me. And it sounds so deeply up my alley. And I really, really want to watch it. That even though I enjoyed watching these Miyazaki movies throughout the past week, part of me was like, if we weren't doing this, I could be watching (laughs) Event Horizon right now. Um, 
So I don't know if that counts because I haven't actually seen it, but the entire back burner of my brain is 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 wanting to watch it. I'm going to allow it because it's so radically a 180 from Miyazaki that <laughs> I love the idea that you're like, hmm, what about airplanes? And then gates of hell in space. Yeah. So I'll say that. And hopefully um, I can watch it soon. Time will tell. I will love to know your, uh, your, your take on it. It sounds like space horror and like investigating a ghost ship and science things gone wrong. Um, With two of the hottest people on the planet. So yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm down. I'm down to clown. Um, but if I had to pick something that is not, well, it, it is some, it is a media I have consumed tangentially related um i recently watched the 2019 movie the vast of night and i keep telling everyone about it and nobody has watched it yet <laughs> so this is me shouting Ooh. into the void um it's another like science fiction wait thing. which is place... what go ahead yeah what's the what's the story um so the vast of night it's a 2019 movie it's set in the 50s i believe um, it's a radio DJ and a, a, oh God, what's a switchboard operator. They keep hearing like a strange sound coming throughout the radio waves. And there are people calling being like, there's something in the sky. And it's just a really well done movie. That's very akin to the twilight zone. And it's even meant to be something like the twilight zone, but obviously different. I think they called it like paradise theater within the movie, but it's it's a really good time, and I keep recommending it to everybody, and everyone's like, "Oh, sounds good," and then they don't watch it. So, people of the world, Kristen, please watch The Vast of Night. Kristen, I've seen it. Isn't it so good? <laughs> it's so fun. It's so good, and it looks I just great. Had a ball. It's a good, yeah, it's a good vintage sci-fi time. Um, it's got very strong like fifties carnival like small town mm -hmm. carnival vibes mm -hmm. um there there were a couple points during it when i was like i don't know what's going on anymore but i'm having a good time it made me like i i think movies in general or really anything that brings out a very like strong emotion there's something to be said about how good it is that it like brought that out of you even if you hate it um but it made me like yearn for space so badly that I'm like, yeah. wow, they really, they, they like the want, the want has taken over my entire body. Yeah. It's great. I watched it during the pandemic when I was watching like literally anything, just sort of scrolling <laughs> through Amazon prime. Like what you do have you have to offer to me do. today? <laughs> but uh, I'm glad you also liked it because I have not met other people who have watched it. So this means a lot to me. Thank you, Martha. Yes, highly enjoyable. Hallie, and, what is... Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to use that as a segue to go to you, but you decided to go to Hallie. So I'll I allow it. I'm trying to be a good guest host. Oh, Martha uh. can go first. I can be a good, a good, a good guest. A good host guest. <laughs> good. A good host. Um, That's both words combined. Go ahead, Martha. What's What's been on your brain? Uh, the video game gods finally descended from on high and said, yes, you with your Xbox can play Baldur's Gate 3. Here you go. Have a good time. I'm so happy for you. I'm God very answered your prayers. Yes. <laughs> so I 
worked a half day on Friday. I came home. I was like, I'm going to quick buy this, quick download it, going to spend the rest of the evening playing it. And then it took four hours to download. (laughs) I was going to guess eight hours to download. So four seems good. (laughs) But yes, I'm about four hours in having a lot of fun. Um, Half of my party members hate me. The other half uh, think I'm doing a good job. So, so, so far, so good. D&D yes, game. <laughs> yeah, I just, I've been, I've been watching people talk about this game on Tumblr since it came out earlier this year and just waiting for it to be available on the Xbox. And it finally is. And I'm, I'm just so excited. If I can't have a new Bioware game, this is, this is the next best thing. I'm so happy. Also have you. seen people talk about Baldur's Gate 3 on Tumblr. Thing is, I know nothing about this game or Baldur's Gate 1 or 2, which I assume exist, but don't know. What is this game, Mark? Okay, so first I'm going to tell you that I also have never played Baldur's Gate 1 or 2 and have no idea Thanks. what the connecting threads are to Baldur's Gate 3. It's basically Take, a D&D campaign. Yeah, so it's a D&D campaign. Um, and you play, so you get to create your character at the beginning. I am playing a half-elf bard because I wanted to be able to talk my way out of anything. Mm-hmm. And the the game opens with you on a um, uh, some mind, sort of mind psychic player. monster. Oh, it's a mind yeah, flayer. Psychic monster ship. Okay. They got and then people. You, yeah. So the the game you there's I haven't really gotten to the big story in it yet. So far, I'm just like meeting people. I have a parasite in my brain that's got to come out at some point. Um, I'm talking to people, I've found a a conflict with some druids and some tieflings that I have to fix. Um, But yeah, it's basically like playing D&D, except in video game format. So I don't have to talk to players. And it's it's so much like D&D, it's down to the, like, the the game shows you your dice roll when you try to do Mm -hmm. a thing. So, like, it is is a pure 5th edition D&D mechanics. Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 were pure, I think, 3rd edition D&D mechanics, so it's like... Hey, we're. I, I don't think the story is of any connection. It's just a hey, we're like perfectly porting the experience of playing D anD D, but in a video game. Yeah, if you saw the movie Honor Among Thieves from earlier this year, it it's vibes. <laughs> it's same vibes. The Dragons movie with Chris Pine. Yes. Yes, I did see that. Okay. Yeah. So it's okay. Yeah. That sounds fun. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Uh, and Pete. Uh, yeah, so what's stuck in my head is um, on Saturday, myself and a bunch of neighbors had a progressive brunch, which was a great idea. We all live within like three <laughs> blocks of each other. So we, you know, five households. We started at 10 o'clock in the morning and everyone hosted for a little bit and, you know, made a, a dish and, you know drinks and and went on to the next house fun to get to see everyone's houses fun to meet some new friends meet some new neighbors um i didn't get home until 11 p.m which tells you how that day went uh and somehow near the end of it uh you know like we, we wrapped up the brunch part proper at about 5 30 or 6 um as one does for ending brunch uh and we were like let's keep this party going we'll play some board games um we also sounded like that at that point uh, nice. so, um, I, I have a mostly there memory of playing a, 
quasi-cooperative board game called We're Doomed. Um, it came out because it was a game for four to ten people, and there were like eight to ten of us. Um, and the idea is the world is coming to an end. You are the leader of a country, and the countries are all trying to work together to build a spaceship to save, you know, some or maybe all of us. Uh, you take turns either building the spaceship or increasing your own influence, hoping to get a seat on the spaceship. The thing is, it takes... The game only lasts for 15 real-time minutes. There's a timer, it's a 15-minute timer, and you have to get enough points to launch that spaceship in 15 minutes, or nobody gets on the spaceship. Um, we played it once, we had no idea how quickly 15 minutes uh, passes, and nobody got on that spaceship. Uh, but I, uh, and then by that point, it was 11 o'clock, and it's like, okay, I'm going to bed now. Uh, but uh, but I, it was enjoy enjoyable enough. That I'm like, okay, I'm definitely getting this game, and we'll be hopefully playing it uh, many more times with people. And it, it nicely fills that niche of, like, it takes almost no, you know, the, the guy falling asleep in the chair next to me was able to contribute relatively well enough um, mm -hmm. his slow reaction speed is probably why we, is one of the reasons we did not build the spaceship in time. Uh, but if everyone was, like, with it, like, you really get into a groove, um, I, I can imagine it'd be a really fun, fun game. What's it called? It's called We're Doomed. Have We're you, doomed. Pete, have you played the game where you have to work together to disarm a bomb? And one uh, person has the instruction manual and the rest of you are following their directions i have heard of this game many times and i desperately want to play it, but i've never actually played it i don't know anyone with it it's very that stressful and you would probably <laughs> I, I i again i really want to play that game <laughs> uh so we are gonna take no a no quick we're missing someone someone, oh. someone did not go uh, oh i didn't go Haley did not go yeah I didn't oh, go. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Because I you seated you seated the floor to me, and now it's your turn. What is stuck in your head today, Hallie? Uh, well, similarly to you, the video game gods smiled upon me as well because the Nintendo Switch had a massive Digimon sale, and so I got Ooh. Digimon games for like eighty percent off, and so I've started playing Digimon Next World Order. I don't remember what year it's it, it came out. It's um. It's good. It's a very complicated game. It is far more complicated than, say, Pokemon is. And so I'm having a great time figuring out what exactly the game wants from me and how to do anything in the Digimon world because Digimon don't make a lot of sense, but I love them. I was a Digimon devotee. Nice. For the first three-ish seasons. Really, it was the first two seasons, and then mm -hmm. I spent another like, two seasons chasing that high. Yeah, um, I that think seems I had... to be how Digimon goes. Yeah, same same experience, I think, Martha. Yes, um, but I never cracked into the video games. Yeah, they're so interesting, because, like, it's a city builder, and that you have to keep Wait, recruiting what? Digimon. Yeah, you didn't expect that, did you? No! In, in the fact that you have to, like, keep recruiting Digimon, and then they're like, oh, now you have an item shop. Now you have a restaurant. Now you have a training dojo. Um, now you have the stock market. Someone just starts the stock market. And you can play that in your town if you want. Um, when you go out with your Digimon, it's like, they were like, oh, Pokemon cradled you, didn't it? You didn't have to, like, take care of your Pokemon. Um, these Digimon need to eat and they need to use the bathroom. So if you don't have 
portable toilets, a real item in the game, your Digimon will be very, very upset with you. Uh, oh, healing items? Impossible to come by. Pokemon Center? Doesn't exist. You can get a hospital, but it costs money. Okay, these Digimon Every are coddled. Time. There are trees and tall grasses. They can go do their business and come on back. I know, I know. That's what I'm saying. And then it gets weird because so many of the later Digivolutions that you need to, like, survive when you're doing the open world stuff are just, like, so humanoid. So, like, a humanoid man creature will be like, I need to use the bathroom and then you're like, you're okay, like, let, let me take you there. We're in a forest, dude. Pick a tree. <laughs> Just go. Go in the tree. There's a bathroom right over there. I'm not running with you all the way back up the cliff so that you can get there. It's so it's it's just so strange, but I'm so addicted to accomplishing anything because I spent such a long time not understanding what was going on or how to do the combat, which is like not a turn-based combat. Your Digimon act freely, and sometimes you can yell at them to do something, but sometimes you can't. Otherwise, they just run in a circle and they just like fight whoever, whoever they're fighting. It's it's insane. It's such a it's such a strange game. Well, I mean that kind of tracks because like Digimon are sentient beings. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's just that like, you know how everybody complains like in Kingdom Hearts, for instance. You know, you have Donald the Healer and he never heals you. It's Correct. like that, except that you have to just like watch it go down. You have to watch your Digimon just like f- it up, and you can't and you can't do anything to intercede, except throw floppy disks at them that heal their magic power. And it's like this floppy disk only heals five hundred, and your max is twenty eight thousand. So like, what is this gonna do? It's just such an unbalanced game. I do want it for the record that Martha does not believe Pokemon are sentient. Uh- <laughs> what? They're you're, animals. Yeah. No, they they're fully sentient. They it's said like, Pikachu was a fully sentient, sentient creature. Pikachu is, is way one, more intelligent than my dog, which is a low is bar one, to clear, but he clears one it. fully sentient Pokemon, and it's Meowth. <laughs> like because he can speak. Yeah, dolphins are Not sentient. Dolphins too? can't speak. Animals can speak. Can they have like all the Pokemon have like personalities and preferences? <laughs> Sorry, I was making a still... joke and I did not mean to open a can of No, words. I'm upset. I'm upset now. <laughs> I mean, Pokemon are essentially pets. Like I love my pets. I take very good care of them. Their happiness means the world to me. But it's not like Gabumon slapping you in the face and saying, "Where's my coffee?" <laughs> 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 which they do to me <laughs> they have little voice lines when they're hungry and it's like you seriously don't have any and it's like you didn't ask me for anything yet come on i'll get you your meat from the meat fields which is the real source of food in that game it's just a meat field that grows turkey legs it's the worst this game is getting meat more and more fields? dystopic as you described <laughs> yeah this is wild. Um, I think we have to take a quick recess, and then we're going to okay. come back and dig into Hayao Miyazaki, arguably the greatest living animator no, currently. No <laughs> turkey lake meat fields in Miyazaki, tell you that much. Not yet, anyway. Not yet. All right, so we are back from our break, and we're going to start talking about Castle in the Sky first. As uh, 
yeah, as the the first movie that we're going to discuss out of our four slash maybe five movies <laughs> we're talking about tonight, um, Castle in the Sky, a 1986 Japanese animated fantasy adventure film. The English dub of the film stars the voice talent of James Vanderbeek, Anna Paquin. Paquin? I'm sorry. Paquin. Paquin. Doris Leachman, Mark Hamill, Mandy Patinkin, and Debbie Derryberry. The film was originally a box office disappointment, selling only about 800,000 tickets, which was apparently far fewer than Miyazaki's previous film, Nausicaa. However, through re-releases, the film has since earned approximately $157 million off of its $8 million budget as of 2021, including home video and soundtrack sales. So, it really turned things around. Yay! Yay for Castle in the Sky. Uh, critics also generally loved Castle in the Sky, with one animation, call- one animation critic calling it, quote, one of the greatest adventure films ever made, and another calling it, quote, Quite possibly the most entertaining anime that Miyazaki ever made. That's Castle in the Sky. <laughs> I like the like three movies in. They're like it's the best one he's ever done. Yes, yeah. yay. I was gonna say I would like to know when that review happened. Yeah. Um. Uh, I can tell you. Um. You. Uh, that was from two thousand and four. Oh, wild. Okay, so it's post-spirited so that a, away. Yeah, wow. That was a, a retros, retrospective uh, thing about it. Fascinating. So yes, Castle in the Sky is like the second movie that he makes kind of on his own. Mm-hmm. Is is it the first Studio Ghibli movie? Great question. Because I uh, was yes, Nausicaa. It is. Okay. Yes, Nausicaa was not, and neither was Castle of Cagliostro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Castle in the Sky is it the is... first movie that he makes completely, um, like in partnership with Asao Takahata mm-hmm. as part of Studio Ghibli. That is what the Wikipedia says. So I will leave that. <laughs> um. Do you guys do a, a plot synopsis? Um, usually we do, but I figured this was already going to go pretty long, so I didn't like <laughs> <make> one. <laughs> That's reasonable. Uh, Castle yes. in the Sky has pirates and magic rocks and bad FBI soldier men. Oh, b- better than pirates. It has sky pirates. Sky pirates. Uh, a sky pirate family, even, to yes, top that yes. one. Uh, a cool mom and her large adult sons. And her large yeah. adult sons. I love her large adult sons. I just think this movie is, in fact, one of the finest adventure films ever made. Of my limited viewing of adventure films, At- but like, but like, I'm pretty confident that it's that it's up there in terms of quality. I really like Castle in the Sky. It was one of the first Ghibli's that I saw, and it was at like a sleepover with like five or six girls, and we were. We were into it. I, I, it's, it's so funny. I don't disagree with anything you just said, and I still think it's one of his slightest works, which is really just a testament to like everything else than it is a knock right. on Castle in the Sky. Like Castle in the Sky right. is one of the finest adventure films, and it's the fourth best movie that we watched. You know, <laughs> ex- excluding the boy and the heron. So it's like, oh, right, that's crazy. 
I know. No, it's insane. And I don't, I mean, I'd have to really think about how I ordered them. It hurt me too much to actually give them an order, but. Um, <laughs> too bad. Do it right now. No. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Castle in the Sky just has a special place in my heart because I love Patsu and Shida so much. And I love Dola so much. And I don't know, like the the cover image of like Shida floating down from the sky with the floating rock, like that's art. That's just that just screams art to me. One of it, Ghibli's most iconic images, even even if the world would not agree, uh, I would argue that it is. I mean, it's it's, so, also, it's also funny that it's so like his art style is it it looks very you know I don't want to say immature for Ghibli, but like you can. It, it's not where he gets to, but at the same time, so many of the things that make a Miyazaki movie a Miyazaki movie are in this movie already. Oh, for sure. Which is very fun. Uh, oh, what were you saying, Martha? Yeah, Martha. I was going to ask, Hallie, was this, so was this your first Miyazaki viewing experience? I don't think it was my first. I think okay. it was my, like, I think it was, it was one of my first. I think my first was actually Spirited Away when I was younger, but I didn't fully appreciate that movie until i was older yeah, so like i watched it away young yeah and then like years passed and i was into other stuff and then like i happened to be at a sleepover where we watched a bunch of ghibli movies and this was one of them okay i was gonna say i i wonder for how many people like their first miyazaki experience ends up being like their foundational one um mm. but no this movie is great um i think it's really interesting that this is the first movie that he makes um as sort of to found this studio i think in a lot of ways nausicaa which was the release before this one is a little bit more purely his vision like mm -hmm. that started from a manga that he created and was like this big epic that he wrote several times um and it, it is interesting to me that then Castle in the Sky has a lot of similar elements to it as Nausicaa. Like, it's got the the cool planes. Mm -hmm. um, but it, in a lot of ways, it is a slightly more immature vision of that, just because it is about kids having mm. an adventure. Um, and I think it ended up being less critically acclaimed but more ultimately like commercially viable <laughs> right i mean no i would fully believe that um and also like i love them both very much um i this castle in the sky is a soundtrack that i listen to a lot one of my favorite ghibli themes um joe hisashi is also a frequent um collaborator with miyazaki and I am just really quick. Yeah, his his uh, as as Martha is looking something up. His soundtracks are frequently my I gotta I gotta like you know focus in and and like write or think kind of mm -hmm. you know music. It's it's that and it's Reznor Ross doing uh, like the Fincher soundtracks. You know, yeah. <laughs> those, those are my two uh, scores to to go hard on. No, Joe Hisashi is fire, and and I don't know. There's something He's, very uh, like. Oh, go ahead, David. Oh, I was just going to note that he's going to be on tour next summer. Yeah. He's like 75, maybe 65. He's he, like... he just came out with a new symphony, I believe, and uh -huh. it's going to be in the city. Okay, go off, Closest dude. He is, he is 73, so go off, King. 
I mean, Miyazaki is 83. Yeah, but Miyazaki's yeah. not going on tour with a symphony right now. No, I don't think you could pay Miyazaki to do a press tour for any of his movies. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, this movie also has a sad robot in it, which is yeah, one of the reasons yeah. that I love it so much. <laughs> sad robots are great. Uh, and this one inspired the Iron Giant design good i was having big iron giant vibes while watching it Mm -hmm. um also i was having big tears of the kingdom vibes while watching it yeah Uh, yeah i kept in my own mind i just kept going like zonai zonai yay it does have those vibes and i was always like i don't know if this would actually objectively artistically benefit the movie but i was always sad that we only saw laputa in that grassy overgrown sad lonely robot state because i always wanted to look through patsu's dad's notebook to be like no what did you think the people looked like what what was life like here look at all the windows were those apartments like i like part of me wishes they had some kind of flashback for lack of a better word some i don't know i don't actually know Laputa's such an ancient civilization that i don't know that it would have worked but i'm just so fascinated by laputa itself because it has such good artistic vibes just like breath of the kingdom yeah yeah well here's the kingdom breath of the wild (laughs) breath of the wild is mononoke tears of the kingdom is uh castle in the sky yeah well and i think it's intentional that we only get to see laputa in this like ruined oh no definitely yeah um Yes, I think we we all understand that Miyazaki has a definite point of view with his movies. I have seen yep. some people call him nihilistic, and I what? disagree with that pretty intensely. Yeah. Um, he strikes me as somebody who's constantly like, I know you can be better than this. Mm-hmm. He, he is the most deeply ambitious empathetic filmmaker I know working, and I don't think that can square with a, like, a nihilistic heart. No. I think... Uh, I I don't know much about Miyazaki at all. I've only seen five, six movies. But at no point have I gotten a nihilistic impression from any of them. No, and I think it's because he is very, like, being famous does not matter to him at all. Like, the whole marketing of his product is, like, not something that he is at all interested in. He is very much like, I'm going to put this work out into the world and, like, accept it or don't, but I have done my bit by producing it. And I feel like that attitude can come across as, like, um, laissez-faire or apathetic but yeah i i think that i don't think you can be apathetic or nihilistic and produce the works that he has made um david was this your first experience with this movie it was yeah um and i don't know i also don't want to rank i also don't want to rank them either because they are well, I can tell that they're all definitely made by the same person. There's such a range between these four movies that we watched. Um, uh, it feels hard to, you know. I will say adventure movies aren't really my thing. 
action and adventure, um, I can take it or leave it, which means some of the other movies that we watched resonated with me a lot stronger. But um, yeah, this was this mm-hmm. was my first time seeing this, and um, I really I really did enjoy it. But I think we'll, we'll talk about the other movies later and the ones that I <laughs> the, how I feel about those, um, which is much more strongly than this one. When and when he said there's such a range between them, there is, and then that's that got me thinking. There's also an enormous just chronological range castle in the sky comes out in 86 and the wind rises which if we're discounting boy and the heron is the last one comes out in 2013 which is like that's what 25 years um so you know that that like you would hope there would be a big uh, gap you know a big a big range (laughs) between them uh as as he in in some ways he grows and changes as a filmmaker and in other ways he doesn't but you know he he never does yeah. as straightforward an adventure yarn as Castle in the Sky again. Everything gets a little more complex and a little more ma- mature is a dumb word, but like everything ferments it's a, lot more, a little bit longer. Like like nuance, I think. So, yes. Somebody yes, nuance. We, yes. we had just talked. We had talked about um one of the recent films that we watched was The Lion in Winter, which critics kept referring to as like the most literate movie of the year. Hmm. And I feel like a lot of his later works that we watched all more in that literary genre than uh, Castle in the Sky, which is at its heart, like it is an action adventure yarn mm-hmm. and like, um, which isn't a knock against it. It's just like, there's a, there's a villain in that movie, yeah, which is there's... something that doesn't exist in the other ones that we watched. Um, yeah, you're right. We we did and... cha- we did pick some other some other Miyazaki's that we didn't pick do have villains, but we did pick three mm-hmm. other ones that have no villains. I mean, Spirited Away, yeah. you could argue for well, antagonist, like, antagonist, villain, I guess. yeah, like, exactly. But like Castle in the Sky has a clear like, no, he is just a villain. There's yeah. nothing redeeming about him. Like yeah. he is just a bad person, and he dies. Yeah. He's one of the few um, Miyazaki antagonists to die. Ah, ah, sorry. He is. Um, I don't know, like, Castle in the Sky is, like, it just got such a classic formula executed so well, and I love that for it, you know? Like, Plucky Children, Adventure of a Lifetime, Ancient Kingdom, some magic happenings, um, pirates in the sky, bad FBI man who is just bad with no, like, tragic backstory or reason he's doing this besides money and power um fun robots robot friends fun robots and it's like okay the kids are right like the plucky um well-intentioned kids with the bright future ahead of them like they're the ones in the right and the pirates aren't so bad you know dola's a lot nicer than she pretends to be i love that line and like i love dola i think she is probably the most nuanced character in Castle in the Sky, if we had to, like, make a choice of that. And that's just because she puts on a whole, like, mean person act that isn't 100% an act, is only, like, 80% an act. I, but I, it just, like, I, I just love that for him, you know? It's almost like, even though it's the first one, so it's not really a break, it's like a break from his nuanced 
his nuanced takes. Like, I'm just going to make a heckin' good action adventure film. I also want to shout out that um, Pazu is a coal miner, and um, Miyazaki went to Wales in 1985 to, like, hang out with coal miners and and research that vibe. And that was during the coal miner strike as uh, Margaret Margaret Thatcher was like, you know, destroying the coal industry and labor in general in the UK. So it's like for the time it's coming out, like those miners are definitely the heroes. And Mm -hmm. that's, that is a vaguely political statement at the time. It's very working class. Yes. Like, yes, she's like, he's a miner. She is obviously, she is obviously very happy to be like on a farm she was like, oh, me and my parents were really happy up in Gondua. We had these cool oxen thing. And then and then I was kidnapped. So it is very humble, agrarian, um, working working class with pirates who also want riches. But I mean, even they get away even with the, like, like a the, reasonable amount of riches at the end, you know, like the, like the perfect amount. They're also working class too. Yeah. Like they've got their underwear on like lines across the ship because their right. ship is too small for all those large adult sons. For all those large adult sons who sleep in hammocks or like under the table in the kitchen. Yeah. Were you saying something, Martha? I think we cut you off. Um, no, I love the, I love the large adult sons. I love that they're very charmed with, they're very taken by Sheeta because mm-hmm. she's like, a form of femininity they've never seen before. They all have raging um, Oedipus complexes. I, I, I kind of wish the like, purely romantic love, like, I wish the romantic context was taken out of it, but I do love that they all want to hang out with her in the kitchen and they all, like, <laughs> fake illnesses or, like, finish their chores early to do it. And I love that, you know, I just think it's great how they start off chasing them and then she does crying on the little flying ship when they rescue her from the military complex. And they're like, hey, Shida, if I did something wrong, I would just really like to apologize. Like, they're sweethearts. They're such sweethearts. Yeah, I think if I had one major criticism of this movie is that I think Shida is a little too much of a cipher. Um, she's... She has some really great moments, but that is mostly like a very kind of not blank slate, but like there's not a whole lot to her. She's the most underwritten Miyazaki female protagonist. And he's like famous for his female protagonist, Mm -hmm. especially his young plucky uh, female protagonist. So Pazu's the one who does things. Shida is the one who things happen to. I mean, I don't disagree. Not, not I don't all the time. Like not either. all not all the time, but in yeah. general, that's the dynamic. Like You're not wrong. I just wanted to finish Sheeta because I like her. <laughs> Ooh, she's very sweet. Um she's the scene where she the scene where she and Pazu have eggs on toast down in the mines yeah. is wonderful. Yeah. Um, and she is the one who, like, understands, um, like, how to, like, she has, she has a deep well of empathy. hmm And I always, like, um, like, even she though... makes friends with the robot and sort of intrinsically understands a lot of stuff. Yeah. And even though, I guess, the text itself doesn't support it, um, when Dola and her husband are playing chess, um, and her husband is like, you know, that little girl reminds me of you not too long ago. Like, that feels like there was a part of Sheeta that is yet unexplored 
and has only been unlocked by this like adventure thing. Like they're both like, oh, this girl's this girl's got the goods. She's got the adventure in goods, and I can tell because she reminds me of my bad wife Dola. And it feels like even though the text kind of underwrites her a little bit, like the subtext of that line is enough for me to defend her. And I don't I don't dislike her. I really no. don't. Um, it's just it's another case where like when you look at her in the field of the other female characters mm-hmm. that we're gonna be talking about, oh. I wish she had a little more a little more to do. Yeah. She's got red outfits though. Truly. She and she always she always looks outfits. good and also looks comfortable. Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, those big pants she put on. God. I was like, God, what I would give for a pair of those. <laughs> you can move so well in them. Uh, all of you are cowards who don't want to rank these movies. This is my number two. I thought it was fun, but that's because <laughs> I am an action adventure person. So I was like, hell yeah, we're going on an adventure. There are pirates, there are dirigibles, there's a castle in the sky and an old society and a magic rock. Sign yeah. me up. I, I agree that they're cowards for not ranking the movies and you should say it and I co-sign it. It's my number four out of four. And that's not a knock against it, because I agree with everything you just said. I just happen to love the other three more. Fair. That's fair. Yeah, you did say that it was your fourth favorite, so you were you were ranking it. So I, I got my, I got my I Miyazaki like, power rankings ready to go. Let's let's I go. Insane. It's my number three of this group that we of this group that we watched. Mm-hmm. I will always I will always rank things. I love a ranked list. We love a ranked list. And I love when people say things like, it's my number three, because then you sit there and you, and you go like, oh my God, oh, what's, what's her what's one, two, four? and four? Yeah. So I look forward to hearing how it pans out. Well, should we jump now to the second movie that we're going to watch? And I assume nobody's number four, but who knows how it all shakes out? <laughs> Let's do it. I think it might be somebody's number four. I think it might be somebody's uh, number four. <laughs> Next up is My Neighbor Totoro. This to- is from Taro. 1998. To- a Japanese animated fantasy film. English dub stars the voice talents of Dakota and Elle Fanning, Timothy Daly, Pat Carroll, Leia Salonga, and Frank Welker as Totoro and Catbus. <laughs> uh, My Neighbor Totoro was a critical success winning several awards for Best Animated Feature, as well as ranking number 41 on Empire Magazine's list of 100 Best Films of World Cinema and the number one animated film on Sight & Sound's critics' poll of the greatest films of all time. The film was also a huge hit with audiences, grossing $41 at the box office, and Totoro himself has become a cultural icon in Japan, serving as the mascot for Studio Ghibli. Totoro. So I mean, Totoro, Totoro. This is the one that everyone knows, right? Yeah, I had not seen it before. <laughs> like, D- David, he, had you seen he's any on Miyazaki their before? Label. Yeah, yeah. David, had you seen any um, Miyazaki before? Yes. Okay. I had seen Spirited Away a couple times. Uh, I've seen Princess Mononoke a couple times. Th- those are, those watched... would be the other two hitters. It's like those two and Totoro, I think, are the like the usual Miyazaki like mm-hmm. trinity. Yeah, I've, I've watched one or two other of his films before this, but um, yeah, this is Mononoke and Spirited Away. I've definitely seen okay multiple times. 
and sorry, Martha, not to cut you off, but just wanted wanted to get the undergirding of like, you know, you're right. Everyone knows Totoro, but had we all seen Totoro before? Um, many times. <laughs> um, wait, Martha, is it a movie about sisters? <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Um, no, but I do, I do feel like this movie is so interesting because it is a children's movie, but it also really starts to plumb kind of the depths of grief that Miyazaki laces through a lot of his work. Um, it also is where we start to see sort of autobiographical elements starting to inch their way into his work. His mother spent a lot of time in the hospital when he was a child. Um, I do not subscribe to the conspiracy theory that those children are dead. I think that's stupid. The what? Um, there is a, oh. a theory that the children died and they're in heaven. I feel like anybody who wants to suddenly have a deep new interpretation of the movie is just like oh this character is dead the whole time or this character is in an asylum i hate it i hate when people do that it's stupid it also um, like misunderstands the role of shintoism in japanese culture right right upsets <laughs> <laughs> me that upsets me um but yeah i but think this movie is we're all dead right now Okay, sorry, Martha, I cut you off. <laughs> no, I was just going to say I, things that I think this movie does beautifully. Um, I think it is a beautiful illustration of the different kinds of connections we can have with our families. I think it is a beautiful exploration of sort of the wonder inherent in childhood. Um, I can't tell you how much I deeply love the fact that when Mei, the little sister, first finds Totoro, her reaction is to take a nap on his belly. Like, yep. girl, same. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> And when he yawns in her face, she roars back at him. It's so, yeah. it it truly is like, oh, this is a man that sort of fundamentally understands what it's like to be a child. Right. And the way that like she screams too, like her voice peaks in that way that very young children do when they get excited and like aren't aware of controlling their volume. It, it It's so cute and it's so natural and so good. Speaking of not aware of controlling their, you know, anything, um, he apparently changed, like, spent so much time figuring out how how to animate children running, because oh quote quote Miyazaki, children aren't conscious of wanting to run; they just want to get somewhere quickly. So they like these kids aren't running to run; they're running because they're like gambling across the fields because they want to go to the tree. Like, and he spent so much time figuring out how to make that look correct instead of like, you know, th th there was there was a tradition of like this is how you animate characters running in like the mm -hmm. anime art style, and mm -hmm. and he was like, that's not how these kids are running because that's not how children run. Yeah, cool. Uh, that's the full statement. What? Kristen, <laughs> tell us your thoughts on Totoro. Uh, it's not my number four. It's my number three. So really? I thought it was... on you. Okay. Uh, the thing... Okay, here's here's the pickle, Martha and Pete, because I don't want you guys to yell at me. No, I, I um, think it's my no, number three I as do. well, but again, for not to slight it. <laughs> the thing is that um, for a while, I was very stressed. And I was like, Hallie, you tell me that these movies are slice of life and calming. Please tell me which ones to watch. 
And she recommended Kiki's Delivery Service and My Neighbor Totoro. And so I watched both of them. Problem is, at the time, HBO Max did dumb things. And they, like, poorly summarized both movies. And so Kiki's Delivery Service, they mentioned something about, like, oh, she loses her powers, something. I know we're not talking about that. But, like, she loses her powers until she has to, like, help a boy do something. But that's the final 25 minutes of the movie. So I spent the entire time, like, waiting for that to happen. And for My Neighbor Totoro, it says something about, like, the children going on an adventure. And in a way they do, but it's, like, a very small scale, literally, like, their own backyard, their new home adventure, not, like, castle in the sky adventure. And I eventually had to stop reading the HBO Max descriptions (laughs) of these movies because they kept getting it wrong. And then my expectations would be very different from what the movie was. You're not the only one who's been burned by that. Like the original like clamshell VHS release of this had like all the fantastic elements on the cover and made it look like it's girls going on an adventure. And it's like, what happens in the movie? They make a friend. One of them gets lost. They see their sick mom in the hospital. I don't know. Totoro. (laughs) And like, I confess that I meant to rewatch this ahead of our discussion and I did not rewatch it. So I actually watched this about a year ago, maybe, give or take. Um excuse me, but I do like I think part of the reason that it makes it number three and not number four is that I like just the the little fantasy elements. God, what I would love to move into a new home and like there are these little little dusty creature things well, and then there's right. a big totoro who i don't even know what we call him he's right? just a totoro goblin have, of the forest and like you just have all this cool stuff and i don't know i think i think i need to watch it again with the understanding of what kind of movie it is because even though i had been told slice of life the summary led me to believe otherwise and now that i like have a full understanding of what it is and what to expect. I should watch it again. Like um, it's, it, it's so an... it, it, it's a little slow for me. As a person who likes action and adventure, I'm like, <laughs> do something. It, but it's, an, it's a movie where an important plot point is the young daughter is sad, or the young sister is sad that her big sister is in school. So the nanny takes her to school to hang out with her big <laughs> sister. And it's like, yeah, that's like 10 minutes of this movie. Yeah, yeah. A solid 10, but I, I recommended it to Kristen because, like, this is one of my anxiety movies and that I watch it when I am just having high-key anxiety because, like, watching someone else hug Totoro cures me. <laughs> and, like, watching them, I don't know, just, like, live a life is so nice. Like, I like if I sit around and I watch them move into their house and unpack all their things and wash the floors and capture the little soot sprites and have their little bath and then the soot sprites all leave because this home is now happy and inhabited like I will feel so much more able to take the world on in like a domestic way like I will often have this in the background if I am cleaning my own house or doing the dishes or whatever and then just like the soundtrack is very calming. It's just like kids live in life and having a growing experience, even though it isn't super well-defined. And that is something that deeply speaks to me. So we know, we know their dad is a university, I think, professor. Do we think he's an aeronautics professor? He's, not, he's certainly an engineer, right? He has to be looking uh, like archaeology. that. Archaeology. 
Oh, is that in the... archaeology? Is that official? Yeah, she oh. when she calls the dad at the university, she says, "Hi, I'm looking for my dad in the archaeology department." Well, color me surprised. I would have assumed uh, he was engineering, right? Because he looks like Jiro, but uh, because he, he looks like every Miyazaki dad, figure. <laughs> every Miyazaki dad. But I mean, he's a great hot professor dad who is perfect with his children. I adore him. But yeah, archaeology. It, this is so. This is not one of my like feel better movies but i will say that i frequently will simply think about the scene where may lines up the little flowers on the edge of his desk oh. just very quietly <laughs> like that is my meditative moment dad where you she's be the just flower like, shop okay yes <laughs> yes um one of the things that i love about miyazaki is that the parents in his movies like, frequently their biggest um, sin is, like, not paying enough attention to what their children are doing. <laughs> which, lets, um, which lets the children go have their adventures. But it is never, like, like you never doubt that these parents love their children no. deeply. Um, and this dad has a lot to be thinking about. <laughs> and... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just, I, I love him very much, and he's doing his best. And he is. I think that's a really good example of how Miyazaki only gives you enough information to, like, he never overburdens you with information. Like, he knows how much to give you to tell his story, which mm. is a point I'm going to come back to uh, later. Um, but, like, we don't know what's up with the mom we know that mm-hmm. she's sick she's in the hospital and like for this children for these children's understanding of what's happening that's all we need to know right because it's almost like they like i'm sure the children don't fully know exactly you, you know like and it's and that's the perfect viewpoint for the audience but i was saying that i love watching this with people for the first time because the we're visiting our mom in the hospital always takes them by surprise like Mm -hmm. every time they're like oh this is that kind of a movie like david was surprised we watched it together and then david was so nervous when the dad didn't get (laughs) off the bus and he was late it was it was great watching david squirm in the middle of like like a like a like a low-key slice of life growing experience movie because like some sometimes life is scary Right? Like yeah. some, sometimes your dad doesn't get off the bus. Sometimes your mom's in the it's hospital. Like these are these are such like it's it's low stakes because we're used to movies with with like, you know, high action stakes. But mm-hmm. when you're, you know, 4 and 9, nothing is higher stakes than like mom's in the hospital and dad's not home. What's going on? Right. And it's That's raining. That's terrifying. Yeah. David, um, please tell me about your experience watching this movie for the first time. Oh, I really loved it. I'm I'm not gonna rank it. Howard. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. No, I I love big fluffy forest creatures, and this gave me everything I could want and more. Like I I love the the poster image, which is uh, a standing next to Totoro with her umbrella in the rain. Um, just the the shot of, like, small child with giant creature, um, which comes up again in, uh, in Spirited Away. There's another shot that's very similar to that. Um, just, just perfect. I don't know. This movie 
is one of <laughs> maybe maybe all three of the, the movies that aren't Castle in the Sky I thought were perfect in their own ways. <laughs> yeah. Um which makes it very difficult to rank them. So I'm again not going to do that. Um uh, yeah, I I I love weird kind of quiet movies and that's exactly what this is going for. Like um you know, there's nothing there's nothing scarier than having a loved one sick when you're a child and everything is scary at that age and having a a neighbor friend who happens to be a giant cat thing yeah i mean i grew granny too but like (laughs) i don't know why i jumped to granny (laughs) granny is granny is also great she's just a fantastic character there's also Um, a nice boy Oh yes, also, who acts so much like children act. That's another like Miyazaki gets children. I was saying to David, oh, like, look at him. He's being kind of a little dick, but it's like, and it doesn't make logical sense. But all of us watching who have presumably been children before are like, yeah, like that's oh, how it be. He's got a little crush on her, doesn't he? Okay, he does. Yeah, yeah. it's like, oh, okay, that's why he's weird all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, yeah. David, I'm so sorry. I got excited. Go ahead. Did it. Being a being a small boy who acts weird around their crushes. That was a thing I, I recognized and understood. Uh, here's an umbrella. I'm going to go away now. Doing, thing, doing weird thing than running away as fast as possible. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no. Um, just the, the intersection between, like, here is this, you know, I wouldn't even call them small stakes. Just like as a as a child, everything like this is is pretty pretty large stakes actually. But having a slice of life thing set next to um the forest and the forest spirits, it felt like it felt a little bit like Neil Gaiman, but mm. in a way that doesn't. I'm not I'm not the biggest Neil Gaiman fan, but um having like children explore world that is directly next to our own world, um I got a little bit of those vibes, but the crossover between worlds is much I don't know, the lines are so much blurrier. And maybe that has to do with the the like animist religious aspects that I I won't confess to knowing much about um, Shintoism, for instance. But um, I don't know. It I really loved it. I loved the creatures. I loved the cat bus. I loved the you... girls. I thought the I thought the characters and the characterization of everybody was fantastic. I loved the did cat bus. Did you watch the did you watch the subtitle the the dubbed version? We watched the dub version. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. When the cat bus says in his little bus announcer voice, next stop, little sister, it's one of the greatest moments of all time. <laughs> I So I watched the uh, the subs, so I missed that. I It is one of those moments where I'm like, you should watch the dub. <laughs> Just for that. 
I think the dub is great too. Just because this line reading is so good. <laughs> it's so good. But aren't um isn't it Dakota and Elle Fanning? Yes. As, yes. Yes. That they cast like actual sisters. When, and when I when I saw that about halfway through watching the sub version, I'm like, oh, I should I mean, as we've been saying, every Miyazaki has a stellar cast of of dubs. Mm-hmm. Um I always prefer watching the first time around or like, you know, the recent time around subs just because I think there's something very Japanese about so much of what he does, um, especially uh, The Wind Rises, um, mm-hmm. that I'm kind of like, I want to get in that headspace and then right. I would happily watch it a second time with the Fanning sisters. Um, and I, see, I like watching, yeah, I like watching them dubbed because I don't want to like they're so visually rich that i don't mm-hmm. want to miss anything um the nice part so about, i like be, because the dub cast is so good there's no right answer right like there's no wrong answer there's no right, right. answer one last thing i want to say about totoro and then i think we can move on to number three um i like that in miyazaki's fantasy works i don't think there's ever a question of whether or not this is real like the fantasy elements, I think, are all, whether or not they're metaphors for other stuff, in the world of the movie, they are always real. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate well, that. Like, <laughs> even when they do the dance to make their acorn seeds grow, and then in the morning, it's, like, not a big tree. It's like, no, that still happens. Yeah, like... Like, even... It's, it happened. It just did. Like... Well, and, and regardless, those sprouts are much bigger than they should have been. Like yeah. something, something isn't right here in in a fun mm-hmm. way. Um, yeah. Last last people... thing before we we go to Spirit Away or, or other people can keep talking to David. It's so funny that you referenced Neil Gaiman because he did the he helped with the English uh, translation for Mononoke, and that mm-hmm. was sort of like after Sandman, but before he was you know more widely known as Neil Gaiman. Um, so that's that's you know. Clearly, some some other people. Unfortunately, that was a Weinstein situation. But like other people, were clocking that there's a like a gaming esque vibe to a lot of Miyazaki's things. Well, and let us never forget, just a sidebar about Princess Mononoke, that Harvey Weinstein tried to get him to cut it down for its American release, and yes. in response, he sent him a sword. Yeah, Miyazaki sent yeah. him a katana and said, "I will cut you with this before I cut a frame of this movie." Yeah. <laughs> He was right, and he should say it. And he he should have stabbed him. (laughs) He was right for a few reasons. Well, didn't... I feel like I gotta double-check my source, but I swear that I read somewhere in the annals of Miyazaki facts that um, someone translating My Neighbor Totoro wanted to change Totoro's name to something more localized and American. Yes. And their their suggestion was Craig. And Miyazaki was like... Miyazaki was like, I... Will not name Totoro Craig because I would not want to be named Craig. And I won't do that to Totoro. I, so I mean, he really fought against that one, which was also the correct choice. Like, I don't know why American localizations are so afraid children won't understand other words what, from I, other languages. I, I, I don't have the specifics on this, but like Totoro is some sort of pun or yeah. reference to something in Japanese that just, like, fully doesn't translate, obviously, because right. Totoro doesn't mean anything. Um, but it's still, like... But it's not Craig. A really like, rhythmic name. It's not Craig. It's yeah. still a rhythmic, foresty kind of mysterious name that fits that character, regardless of not being a pun anymore. Like, it's just so silly. 
Craig. No offense to anybody out there named Craig, but you cannot name a forest god. Great, At, Craig. If you, you wanted the not pun, you could name a Craig. cliff god Craig. <laughs> like, unless you're going for like a parody, you can't. You cannot name your forest creature Craig. It's illegal, and you could be arrested. Correct. That's what Miyazaki saved you from. It is a crime. Um, David, would you like to take us into our third film? Absolutely. Next up, we have Spirited Away, which is a 2001 animated fantasy film. English dub stars uh, DeVay Chase, Jason Marsden, Suzanne Plachette, Michael Chiklis, Lauren Holly, Susan Egan, David Ogden Styers, and John Ratzenberger. The film was a huge success, grossing nearly $400 million worldwide off of its $19 million budget, becoming the highest grossest film in Japanese history for 19 years, until it was surpassed by Demon Slayer Mugen Train in 2020. It's also a favorite of critics, becoming the first and to date only hand-drawn and non-English language animated film to win the Oscar for Best Animated Film. We'll see about Empire this Magazine upcoming year. It. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Empire Magazine ranked it as number 10 on its list of 100 best films of world cinema. It's been listed as one of the greatest films of the 21st century and of all time on a number of other lists. Scared it away. Scared it away. This is my this number movie's... one, and this is my number one Miyazaki. It fights with Mononoke, but it, it takes it Mononoke by a hair. Mm -hmm. um, no shade on Mononoke. <laughs> No, again, no shade on like any of Miyazaki's yeah, right, work. Right, right, exactly. Just like some of them will speak to you just a little bit more than others, and Spirited Away is one of those. Um, it w I mentioned earlier it was technically my very first one in that I saw it at the local video rental store and was like, "Hey, there's a girl on there, and it's animated. I want to watch it," and I liked it. And so I would get it from time to time. My mother was always like, this one's so weird. Like, why do you watch it? And she's not, she's not wrong. Like, it is weird, especially when you're coming at it from, from an American standpoint where you're unfamiliar. Were with, you, like, how, how, sorry, roughly how old were you when, when you were seeing this at like Blockbuster? Uh, oh, like eight. Okay. So, so you were literally the reason that like Miyazaki made this movie because he was like summering with his nieces and mm -hmm. was like, his nieces were like roughly, you know, Shahiro's age. And he was like, I want to do a story for them. That's not like a shoujo, you know, romance. So mm -hmm. so then he made yeah. one of the greatest works of, of film. <laughs> so then, you know, can you imagine like, oh, my uncle made me a cinematic masterpiece yeah. for, my, for my birthday. Yeah, so I was about the age that I think he intended, even though obviously watching it gets better and better as I age. Um, but was... like... Oh, go ahead, Martha. No, I was going to say, that's what I think like, truly makes this movie a masterpiece, is mm -hmm. that you can watch it on all, at almost any age and get something different from it yeah. fully based on like your life experience. Oh, yeah. fully. Like, this is, like, Totoro is one of my anxiety movies, but the other one is Spirited Away, because it doesn't calm me down so much as, like, make me feel like I can do anything. It teaches like, the value um, of hard work. But not right. in a, but not in a capitalist way. In not like in a, a fun way. like I I feel fulfilled cleaning a bathtub kind of way. That kind of way, but also like a trust your instincts 
and make friends kind of a way like mm -hmm. this is gonna sound so silly but i had a mental breakdown once because i was not doing well and then i got a bad haircut and that was just like the last straw on that particular week and i was yeah. just like everything's bad and i was crying and i turned on spirited away because i was like i could do this even with a bad haircut and if i was a mizaki character it would look cute so you know what? It's fine. And Spirited Away helped me through that mental crisis. And every time I feel I'm on the verge of another one where like life is just too much, you know, like moving to a new school, doing something scary, but like a normal life scary. I'm like, I, I'm, I have to watch that and be like, I want to watch a girl go through this whole demon nightmare in order to find the courage to go to a new school and make new friends. Like there is something so, so wonderful about that you inversion. Like, you like yes, what she am. says at the end. I like what she says at the end. The very last line uh, when the dad is like, you know, go into a new school. It is kind of scary. And she's like, I think I can handle it. Like just the <laughs> delivery of that line, the fact that it's the very last line, like it is so good. There's a, uh, there's a quote from Miyazaki on the Wikipedia that I think speaks to that as well. Um, talking about his development and inspiration for the idea um it is quote i created a heroine who is an ordinary girl someone with whom the audience can sympathize it's not a story in which the characters grow up but a story in which they draw on something already inside them brought out by the particular circumstances i want my young friends to live like that and i think they too have such a wish yeah. yeah, I think that's so great. Drawing something out that's already inside them. You know, like she like she doesn't necessarily grow up. It's just like she just grows. Cause yeah, I, I think she's yeah. still great. Already were great. Yeah. She's still a kid at the mm -hmm. end. Like it's sort of a coming of age story, but like I, I think it's important that when she leaves the magical world, like she's still she's it's it's a mirror of when she and her parents walked into it. Yeah, she's still uh -huh. holding her mom's hand and So like she this is still somebody who like needs her parents and needs the yeah. support of her family, but she has also like found inside of her like I am also resilient. Like I can mm -hmm. also solve these problems and make it through Yeah like, these hard things. And and Go, go ahead. This is my number. This is my number one of this group that we watched. It yeah. is not my number one Miyazaki, but of Mono, this Mononoke group is your number one Miyazaki. Mononoke is my number one movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is this your number two Miyazaki? <sighs> or because uh, uh, you know we also did not assign um, Howl's Moving Castle. think about it um i really hard, love i really love this movie um yeah. i also i think it might be number three behind howls sure for me sure um for, for me what makes this movie so special and devastating is um like two-thirds of the way through they take the train ride to um uh, zaniba's and there's just like a, a four minute sequence where they're sitting on the train and mm -hmm. and ghosts get off and nothing else happens. And like we no. get to we get to look out the window across the water as Joe Hisashi is just like going to town on the score. And it's like the most meditative and calming piece of cinema ever made. And it's like no other director would put this put the sequence in it and they wouldn't direct it like this. But it is no. perfection. 
Especially not in an animated movie mm-hmm. where every frame is exactly. costing right. money. Right. It's like, it's we're watching like, the water yeah. ripple. It's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing about Miyazaki is that he goes like out of his way to add these extra little things that are so human. This example is actually from Castle in the Sky, but something that has always stuck out to me is that Patsu can't fasten the necklace when he tries to try it on. Yes, yes. And Shida has to come fasten it for him. And it's like, this adds almost nothing, like a little bit of characterization. Like it's, but it's it not was probably because it's much... a magic necklace. It's because dude doesn't ever put on necklaces and doesn't right. know how that works. Yeah. But like, he could have just done it and the movie would not have suffered literally at all. But they said, no, we need to animate these however many extra frames to have Shida help him put the necklace on. And I just feel like that kind of thing is in all of his movies. He just like adds all these frames of just like quiet sitting I mean, or... I, I, I was saying earlier the story about it's like the him... the equivalent of Chihiro tapping the toes of her sneakers to put yes. them back on. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Well, and, um, you know, they. It, I was saying earlier, he spent so much time trying to figure out how the, the sisters should run in Totoro. Mm-hmm. In this, they spent so much time trying to figure out how... Um, uh, a haku should fly as a as a dragon because it's mm-hmm. like, you know, they they spend hours watching. I think like snake animation, like snakes moving, mm-hmm. and Miyazaki. Miyazaki, we're we have we're saying a lot of good things about him. He was a, a apparently a, um, I don't want to say a horrible boss, but like a de- <laughs> let's say a demanding boss who did not give yeah. praise. <laughs> right. Um, it's like, yeah, the expectation is that you work until midnight every day because he does and you can't leave before he leaves. And uh. then and then he will say, good, when it's good. And otherwise we'll yell at you if it's not if it's not up to his like, you know, exacting <laughs> standards. And so yeah. the idea of like, yeah, the amount of time spent animating Haku was probably uh, impossible to conceive. Uh, but it looks really good. So It looks really good. And again, that is also something that is very, like, I mean, obviously it's Japanese. It's a Japanese film. But, like, when my mom was looking at it, you know, I think she was like, he's a dragon? Thinking of, like, a yeah. medieval England dragon, yeah. you know, instead of, like, a Japanese dragon. Like, I think so much of it, like, I think that's the biggest barrier to, the to like, American audiences at least. Um, that really shouldn't be, but like, you know, I think sometimes people struggle with like just the cultural difference. And I'm like a bathhouse for the spirits. Like Japan's into baths. Like they have bathhouses there. So the- their whole bathing ritual is very different. I wish it was like that here. It, it. I I really like the glimpse into like Japanese culture and values that Miyazaki movies give me, especially this one. This is a question for the group. It like. Do we think that's a generational thing where, like, do we think millennials are a little more, like, keyed into, like, yes, Japanese culture includes bathhouses and, like, river spirits that are dragons. I So this is fine. Do. Or, whereas, like, older generations would be more like, what? Um, or is it just us all culture, like, this group here culturally? Like, Martha, you took Japanese in high school for four years. Uh, you know, we were part of an anime club. Like, so that just got, well, like... Well, I think that's an interesting... I mean, I think that one of the things that this movie did was really bring Miyazaki onto the world stage in a way that his other movies didn't. Mm-hmm. So I I feel like if you were not familiar with Japanese bathhouse, bathhouse culture before you saw Spirited Away, watching it was kind of like, okay, so this is something that they do. <laughs> like, um, I also think just 
culturally we have a higher concentration of weeaboos in our generation than previous <laughs> ones. <laughs> I would like to hear from uh, Kristen and David at this point. Did you go first? Um, yeah, this movie is also perfect. <laughs> um, I don't know. There's I'm a I'm a big like Alice in Wonderland fan, and I know that this is it's like the easiest comparison between this and Alice in Wonderland, but I really love the the sort of episodic nature of this one that also shows up in in Wonderland. Uh, you know, uh, we get just like. Going into the the world, and we've got the parents' food and turning into pigs, and then we've got, you know, going to work at the bathhouse. Uh, where first we we have like Kamaji, we meet Kamaji, and we have um, that sort of scene, and then we go into the next scene, which is you know getting the job at the bathhouse and learning how that all works and everything, and like the different spirit characters that we meet don't. You know the no face um i don't know just the way everything builds on each other but it's also like you could take them as separate pieces for almost short episodes within the larger film um i don't know things like that really work for me i love i love when that happens um Speaking of speaking of Kamaji and speaking of uh, Miyazaki's pro union stance, I love when she teaches the suit sprites about collective action and work yeah. stoppages, and then Kamaji's like, "Nope, shut that down. Back to work." Yeah, she's like, "Oh no, we gotta, we gotta shut this down before it starts." <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, oh, go ahead, Martha. I was just gonna say this movie is sort of the quintessential, like this one in My Name for Totoro. It's like. Nothing happens, but also everything happens. <laughs> yeah, and it's so, it's just so good. Uh, David, your comment made me think of, there is a wonderful role-playing system called Girl Underground, where you, you build like an RPG character and world. Um, and the description says, like like a girl, you all play one girl in different scenes, you know, in some kind of fantastical world, and they... Oh. Give, they give the example Alice in Wonderland or Spirited Away in the vein of those two things. So they oh. they bring in both of those as um, examples, which I think is really cool. It's a very good system. Um, and just further cements Spirited Away is like the perfect girl underground kind of story. Yeah. You know, like, just, yeah. just she's in trouble. There's a whole, there's, there's a whole mystical adventure waiting to be had that will teach you about who you are as a person mm -hmm. is is just like so magical it well and i i love that this movie is very quintessentially japanese yeah but also like don't eat the food just don't eat the food <laughs> yeah don't like, do it. rule and number like, one every Right? Every person in the theater is like <laughs> don't eat the food like my uh is I that ghost food who, don't eat it right who saw this when he was little, his aunt just like took him to a random movie and it was this one and they both knew nothing about it. 
And the second the parents turned into pigs, my friend just got up and ran out of the theater. He was just, <laughs> no, I can't do it. He was little, like young, like six or well, eight. Like In fairness to your friend, that happened to me during <laughs> um, Willow. That nice. was the scene in Willow that I was like, no. Can't do it. Nope, I'm out. <laughs> can't do it. Well, I, like, I, I agree that it is so obviously quintessentially Japanese and... It's so interesting, David, that you said it It made you think of Alice, which is now, as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh, well, duh, of course. I didn't because I'm so brain-pilled. I'm like, ah, it's like a Campbellian story arc in the first part, but then it breaks <laughs> it. Because, uh, like, you know, it's a person who goes through, a, a, like, doesn't want to go through a passage, but does, and goes into a, a new world and learns things. But at that point, it loses all the Campbellian arc because she doesn't, like, gain important powers or, like, learn important truths. Um, you know, as, as was said earlier, she just learns about parts of herself that she didn't know about, you know, she doesn't return with anything important to, to, you know, save the world with. She just is a little bit of a better person who learned the value of like hard work, but is still an 11 year old girl. But I kind of believe that she could save the world. Like if she yeah. needed to, mm, mm, <laughs> she would, she would find that power within herself once more. Yeah. Um, but yes, I think I think this movie is a masterpiece. Um, Kristen, I oh. it is also the first of his movies to integrate CGI into the animation. Oh, yeah. um, the bathtub sequence with the polluted river god that Chihiro mm -hmm. helps save is largely CG'd. Like his uh, which, his pollution is CG'd. No, you know when the the it's. So after she pops the cork out, you get sort of that bubbly up geyser. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which Miyazaki did um, kicking and screaming. I was going to say, he, he, did, was he not... wanted to hand draw the water, and they were like, <laughs> my dude. <laughs> um, but I believe that... Let me make sure I'm not about to tell tales about this movie. Was you looking that up, uh, Kristen, have you weighed in? Not weighed in. Well, weigh in. Weigh in. This this was my number one. Hey. hey. I really I think that means that two are cowards who aren't ranking them. Yeah. But of hmm. the three who are, we've all put it as our number one. Um and Martha, you can interject at any time when you have found your thing. Feel free to interrupt me. But I think like I was so surprised but charmed by like you said there's no like gaining a power coming back with something else like i think i'm so accustomed to a very particular plot structure or like you have to complete these five things in order to achieve xyz mm -hmm. that will let you go home and there is technically that like she's not leaving because she wants to get her parents back to human and uh, is trying to, like, find, you know, the boy who could help her. But it literally, it's not like, first go to the bathhouse, and then do this, and then do this, so that I can find you later, so that we can break into this, so that we can get this magic potion, so that we could Like, it's, that's it's, not the structure of it. It's not fetch quests. It's just that it's things... make friends quests. Yeah, it's like, things just keep happening. Um, and I think it's fun because, you know, we all collectively were like, do not eat the food! 
But everything that kept happening, I was like, do not go in the tunnel. No, bad things happen when you go in the tunnel. And then they did. And then they ate the food. And I was like, this is how you get cursed. And then they did. And then when she left the door open for the very creepy, I do not like (laughs) it, no face thing, I was like, have you considered that maybe it's outside because it's supposed to be outside? Like, don't let it in. But no. And then she let it in. Her whole thing is she's, she's a nice person. It's like, oh, this dude's in the rain. Like, Which also like, has no very rain. formal it's very understanding of her. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I'm me, so I was like, don't let it in. And I hate I hated its creepy little mumble noises. Uh, I'm like, either talk uh, or or uh, or be completely silent. Now she also and then, didn't like when it talked. So okay, well, but when it talked, he talked, I, no, he talked with the, with the frog that he ate. Yeah, like well, like. Because it had been quiet this entire time, aside from the dumb little noises. Um, one, I did not expect the mouth to be where the mouth was. <laughs> and then it ate the frog, and suddenly it was talking. And I think if I did not actively physically recoil, I think my brain recoiled. And, But at the same time, like I was very disturbed by the no-face spirit. And when it kept eating people and the three food, and, or the three kept eating food and the three people it looked like a giant tick and that grossed me out as you should um, be because it's a statement about voracious capitalism and capitalism but like which i'm still very charmed by all the different spirits and like just the idea of it in general and i little environmentalist sustainability happy me was so pleased that it had the one little tiny not like super tiny it was a very clear like river god pollution right put the two and two together we have made it so easy for you but it's still like you don't have to include that in the movie and i really liked it i don't know it was just it scratched a lot of itches and i didn't expect it to and given my history with hbo max uh descriptions of things i went into castle in the sky and spirited away without any idea of what was going to happen because i didn't read the things um, and it was very important to me that Kristen go into Spirited Away specifically, not knowing anything about it. And um, I don't know. I, I really liked it. I had a jolly good time, and I will probably watch it again. Also, like you said, there's no there's no villain. There's an antagonist, for sure. But she's not like, I want to ruin this child's life. She's like, hey, hey, labor. Love it. Yeah. And she very specifically, like, she has a set of rules that she plays by and that she honors. Like, yeah. when it almost sounds like she's bound by as well. Like at the very end, it's like, yeah, I want to set you free, but uh, and your parents free, but got rules is rules, so yep. you got to pick are, your parents from the pigs. These are the rules. the The information I was looking for is that Disney actually funded about ten percent of this budget. Oh. Hmm. Um, so John Lasseter actually had like input into how it was made. Mm-hmm. Intr- he actually not just not um, just the American which, production and distribution, but the actual original. It financed ten percent of the production cost, and it had right of first refusal for American distribution. Oh, huh. this was one of the most expensive movies that they made. Um, and his Miyazaki's original script for it would have been three hours long, and I'm kind of like, first off, I I'm want here. It. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I. I I know that The Boy and the Heron is now the most expensive Japanese movie ever made, so I would hope that uh, Spirited Away held that title until this point. (laughs) Well, part of that is because The Boy and the Heron had a troubled production. Yeah, Um, yeah. But 
um, we're not talking about that one right nope. now. Nope. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to, because um, yeah, this was one of the few movies that Miyazaki did actually have to like cede some creative control on, um, because the like the scope of it was so big. Um, the last thing that I want to say about it, um, a movie critic called Nigel Andrews reviewed this movie when it came out. It is the only movie he has ever given six out of five stars. And oh. I just wanted to read a little bit of his review because it makes yes. me very emotional. <laughs> yes, please do. Please do. Please uh, he do. says, he says, yes, that's right. Six stars. Exceptions must be made for the exceptional. Spirited Away is a feast of wonderment, a movie classic, and a joy that will enrich your existence until you too are spirited away. Oh. Um, what is this film about? It is about 122 minutes and 12 billion years. It sums up all existence and gives us a mythology good for every society, amiable animal or human that ever lived. It fabulates every psycho-spiritual phenomenon from parent-child relationships to religion via love, hate, fear, hope, and the power of imagination as a transport system. I don't expect ever to love a movie more, but then again, maybe I shall. This director's art tells us that transcendence itself can be transcended. For instance, there is always the next Miyazaki film. That's so lovely nice. review. I have even more good news about that review. He did a, re a retrospective in 2021 and basically was like, yep, it's still my only six out of five star movie. <laughs> Got it right the first time. <laughs> yep. Yes, I'd want it on a desert island. Yes, my life would be poorer without it. Uh, yeah. Um, and now I think we should talk about uh, before The Boy and the Heron, um, his most recent movie from 2013. Um, and it, I also do want to point out that both Spirited Away and The Wind Rises, which we're about to get into, are both movies that when they came out, Miyazaki was like, this is totally my last movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, yeah, at this point, he's a serial last movie dude. Well, and then it's like he he reaches into his chest and is like, nope, there's still more of my heart that I haven't I was gonna scooped say, out. And... He rips out one more piece of his heart. He's like, take this world. But part of it too, before we go too much further, is like, there's another, like, he comes into another generation that he wants to, uh, you know, say something to. Like, again, Spirited Away, it, apparently it wasn't his nieces, it was family friends, but like, you know, there's a bunch of, you know, prepubescent, like, you know, tweenage girls and it's like i want to tell a story for them for mm -hmm. the boy the boy and the heron that we're not getting into too deeply um he literally said like i made this for my grandson so i can like as a thing that says like yes your your grandpa made this for you as a gift to mm -hmm. like think about how to engage with the world uh so first off i would love for my you know <laughs> i would love for me as actually my grandfather but also it's like yeah he's doing it both because he has something more to say but also because he has a specific audience that he's thinking about Mm -hmm. That he wants to say it too. But. Wind Rises. It's a 2013 animated historical drama film. It's the fictionalized biography of Jiro Horikoshi, who was uh, a designer for two fighter planes for Mitsubishi during World War II, and was adapted from Miyazaki's manga of the same name. The English dub stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Emily Blunt, John Krasinski, Martin Short, Werner Herzog, William H. Macy, Mae Whitman, Mandy Patinkin, Jennifer Grey, Stanley Tucci, and Elijah Wood. The film was a huge commercial success, 
spending $136 million off of his $30 million budget, becoming the highest grossing Japanese film in Japan of the year. Critics also loved this one, too. Uh, it was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature, the Golden Globe for Best Foreign Language Film, and it won the Japanese Academy Prize for Best Animation of the Year. The Wind Rises. It good. It good. What? I was gonna say I'm gonna get it out of the way that this is my least favorite one. It's my number four, also, Kristen. <laughs> I I like, and the thing is that it's not bad. And I debated whether I should make this or Totoro number four because I think I actually enjoyed watching this more than I enjoyed Totoro. But again, I had expectation problems. Um, but I I do think that especially having watched. Kiki's Delivery Service, Totoro, Howl's Moving Castle, Castle in the Sky, Spirited Away. I was like, hell yeah, ready for some fun fantasy things. And it was planes. And then he talked to a man <laughs> in his dreams. And I was like, oh, okay, there's the fantasy. They're in the same dream space. And like a little bit, it happens like four times. But then he's like, no, he also meets a woman with tuberculosis and i'm like okay um i was promised a little more whimsy actually i wasn't promised anything no no it's it's not bad it also reminded me of oppenheimer um i was i thought that too. And... i'm so glad you said that this would be a, such a good companion piece with oppenheimer it's uh... oppenheimer like i was thinking oh oppenheimer got oppenheimer from this movie <laughs> but also because, like, we're doing fun things, like, with dreams and with, like, there are sequences where we're looking into the plane's wings and then, like, we pull out yeah. of it in an impossible way. Like, we can do it only through animation. Like, they're both doing quite... This one is much more loosely biographical than Oppenheimer, but, like, World War II era biography-ish with, like, weird formal logic breaks. And, it's, like, dreams it's logic time breaks, sequences. but it's, like... The awareness that you're building something that's going to have this huge impact that is not exactly a positive one. Like, he wants to help this country, and he knows that he's building these planes to be, like, bomber it's, planes. It, it's the struggle um, but of he an engineer. Mentions, like, he's like, we could, we could solve this if we didn't have the guns, but um, that's and, not happening. So and everyone laughs. That one out. And, like, he says, ah, the solution is no guns, and everyone in the room laughs. And he's like, haha, so yeah. we had to do something else, because obviously there have to be guns. Uh, and and it has time jumps that I don't mind, but I feel like in a like live action movie, I would have been able to piece together the time jumps better. And instead, we get the little bits of like, oh, we've been here two years. Like, oh, that was five years ago. And I don't his, mind it, but it confused me a little tiny bit. And I can't youngest, tell if that's me having a small brain or not. His younger sister was a useful marker of the time passing. Mm -hmm. She was helpful. Um but she wasn't always there. That's true. <laughs> and this, th this I, movie, I think, has has the best line to unlock Miyazaki movies, which is, um, airplanes are beautiful dreams. Engineers <laughs> turn dreams into reality. But And you could change yeah. engineers for artists. But, like, you know, airplanes are beautiful dreams. Engineers slash artists turn dreams into reality. It's like, ah, that's Miyazaki 101. He loves his airplanes. I mean, you're oh, not wrong. I'm but I would almost argue that the quote from the French poem is the Miyazaki. Mm. Uh, il faut se livre, il faut tenter de vivre. Like, the wind rises, you have to live, we, or something? It's it, We must try to live, yeah. because that also mirrors several lines in Princess Mononoke, and 
it just feels especially if we're mm-hmm. i'm considering this with well, like the and boy also, and the heron and oppenheimer like how to live in the face of war one well, and, and, and Mar- what it says to me i'm sorry i cut off like three people go ahead martha right before you jump in uh we were talking on blue sky uh hashtag or at magical martha and at uh romberg.p on blue sky um uh, Blank Check, which is a podcast we both now listen to, just dropped a three and a half hour episode on The Boy and the Heron. Oh <laughs> I got about uh, an hour and a half into it, and they had uh, the idea that this movie ends with the line, you must live. And The Boy and the Heron then takes that as its starting point and continues it with, but how do you live? Like, if, if, mm-hmm. if, we, if we take as a given that you must live, what does that look like? How do you do that? Um you know, ethically. Uh, mm-hmm. And and yeah, so, th- so the idea that that I know um, both Haley, you and Martha floated of like, these are companion pieces that does have a sort of synergy to it. Like there is a connection yeah. between them. No, definitely. And then uh, Kristen, you were also saying something and I cut you off. Oh, I think that was probably just me trying to wrap it up and be yeah. like, yeah, so I mean, objectively good movie. But because of my own little, I like action and adventure, and I really enjoyed the whimsy fantasy of the other ones, this one did not do it for me as much. This is a movie that I don't watch when I get anxious like the others, but I watch (laughs) it when I really want to focus and be, like, contemplative. Like, not necessarily sad, just kind of there. Didn't Which have is... the same meditative, like, in Howl's Moving Castle, he makes the breakfast. And, you know, you said that in Totoro, they're, like, cleaning the house and all these mm-hmm. stuff. Like, in Miyazaki movies, from what I've seen, you get these wonderful little tiny moments of just, like, this little domestic thing. Um, you, you And it, it, and it this, scratches but it's... your brain just so. And I feel like this one doesn't quite have this those. One... It's not... It's, it's 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 him using the slide ruler it's him doing his engineering work which is like it's not domestic but it is um like banal right it helps me focus on like actual work if i really need to be like working working like that's when i put it on mm-hmm. and i really enjoy the calmness from like watching him do his little math and you know the imagination and also i just think joseph gordon levitt knocks it out of the park his voice it is so great lyrical. voice yeah, I just like listening to him talk. I, I, I want to let Martha and David talk, but I, as seeing as we're talking about the so- slide ruler, um, I was legitimately tearing up in the scene where he is on the train to go to his uh, fiance who has gotten sick, and he's just doing doing math, doing the slide ro- ruler. Yeah. And it's like, that is such a great moment. Where, like, this is a guy who is overwhelmed with his emotions, and how do you keep those emotions at bay? Bury yourself in your work. Spend the time on the train working that slide ruler. Like, And the tears are like... You don't see him cry. You just see the tears fall onto the work that he's doing. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I once did the math and um, Jiro and Naoko spend 20 minutes of this movie married. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm 20 minutes. <laughs> I'm basically crying the entire time where they're they're always just like, yeah, well, you know, every day is precious to us. We're getting married every right now because uh, clock is ticking. And I have such complicated feelings about it, which I don't think is a, a slight of the movie. I think the movie wants you to be like... It's a complicated you know, movie. It's complicated. He's, it's like, are you... zeros. Like, it's a complicated movie. 
Right. Like, do you know, are you on the, if you love that girl, you'll send her back to the sanatorium. Are you every day is precious? Are you, Jiro needs to be like if, spending more time at home with his dying right. wife. If every versus, day is precious, why are you at work until right. 10 at Why night? are you at work all the time? And I know they told him like, oh, we'll protect you as long as you keep your mind on your work and airplanes are beautiful dreams. But like, it's funny, the more I watch this movie, the more mad I am at Jiro. Which I don't think is a bad way to be. Like, I think it's a wonderful film for making be upset about all the directions the, their lives could have gone with slightly different choices. It's just that, like, they spend the movie married for 20 minutes. And, like, the romance is, like, a key part of the film. Agreed. Uh, it's just, oh, like, I was Martha, about Martha. to ask if I lost everybody. <laughs> no, I, I was yeah. about to say, Martha, so, David. <laughs> so I don't love this one. Um, I, like, I, I always feel like I have to qualify that with, like, but it's still a Miyazaki movie and better than, like, 90% of, of other right. movies of art. <laughs> it is your fourth favorite movie here and therefore right. your 50th favorite movie of all time. Something like that. <laughs> but I also just, what I think is fascinating about it is because Miyazaki is using this movie to tell us about him in so many different ways. Like, we have always known that he loves planes and that mm-hmm. engineering is important to him. And, like, he he believes very much in the beauty of these constructions and the beauty of the meticulousness that goes into them but what i what i think is fascinating about this movie is also how it is grappling with the fact that once you put your creation out into the world whatever that is it doesn't really belong to you anymore Mm -hmm. and sort of struggling with what that means for how what you have made gets used by the world Mm -hmm. and there's obviously a big difference between machines that kill people and animated film um, but it does remind me of the fact that he is so against merchandising for his movie. Like, there are very strict caps on how much merchandise of his films can be released every year because he doesn't want them to become, like, commercial uh, machines. And, and like, the, the reason why all the Miyazaki stuff is available on HBO now is because they needed money to make The Boy and the Heron. Like, it is a it is a direct connection between, like, we need money. Fine, you can stream my movies. You, well, mon- and it's you always, capitalist monsters. Fine. He he needs money to make his next movie. It's like he lives in his little house yes. with his wife and his cat, and like that's fine. For him. <laughs> like the thing that he needs financing for is to make the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I think that this movie is really grappling with the responsibility that you have over the things that you create, like, and sort of the loss of control that happens once it is right. released into the world. And, uh, and, and even the Oppenheimer-esque morality question of, like, even before you create it, obviously less so with artists, but, like, if you are an engineer designing a plane, is that ethical? Like what's what's your ethical, you know, like how how deeply do you have to think about it? Right. I a friend of mine once referred to this movie as um, Japan's World War Two apology movie, 
And that made me so mad because mm. it's about so much more thematically. Yeah. And that's such an easy joke to make. And it's like, no, like it's about like the war is obviously a huge part of it, but it's also like, even though you could argue Jiro is directly contributing by designing the plane, like it's all the tangential ways the war affects just a person who wants to make a thing and who happens to have been born in Japan during that time. Like, yeah. Like I like I, they go ahead. I, I have a college buddy who looks exactly like Jiro. Um yeah. and is an aerospace engineer. I mean, like among uh many hats, uh, you know, has been an aerospace mm-hmm. engineer and a couple years worked for Raytheon, right? And it's like mm-hmm. he does not a- approve of anything Raytheon does, but he was developing programs to make smart bombs smarter, right? And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, what is your ethical requirements there? Part of it is like, are there any? I'm an engineer, I'm getting paid to do a job. But also, he's no longer working for Raytheon, you know? Um, it's such a... Yeah, it's... It, it's such a tricky question to untangle. And the movie doesn't, like, give an answer. And no. I don't think that it should, you no. know? It's just, like, here's one person's struggle with it, along with all these other themes. He that... built a beautiful airplane. For, he built a beautiful airplane. For the Imperial... The Japanese Imperial Navy. Uh, you know, do you want to live in a world with pyramids? Like, that whole mm-hmm, question mm-hmm, is just, mm-hmm. like, so integral to the world. Not just this boy in Japan, World War Two. Just, like, I don't know. It's just a lot to think about. It's very contemplative. I think this was this is also pretty low on my Miyazaki list. But that's just because I get mad at Jiro all the time for, like, <laughs> not giving Naoko the attention she deserves um but i don't know it's just like re-watching it for this it jumped higher on my miyazaki list um but i will be the first to admit that i think my miyazaki list is very suspect to um recency bias recency because <laughs> every miyazaki movie i watch i'm like well that's like number three behind uh spirited away mononoke so Yeah, I don't know. I miss I miss the weirdness. I miss mm-hmm. the fantastical elements. Um, I think in many ways that this is probably one of his most personal movies. It just doesn't speak to me as right. deeply. Mm-hmm. No, that's totally fair. David. Um. Yeah. Um. Well, I think I don't know. Um. Just going off something he had said, I think that there definitely is a not just an engineering like moral question of like what do you do with something that you make but also i think there definitely is an artistic one as well like whose story are you going to tell and in what way are you going to tell it which is really when you're talking about a biopic like this um a really important question to get into um like of all the people that you could make a movie about he decided to look at somebody who designed fighter planes for the Japanese army in World War II. And um, the way that he tells that story, too, I think is definitely something to consider. This, um, going off the Wikipedia page, there was some controversy, mostly from the political right in Japan, which, like, who cares, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) But, like... um, you know, people were upset about 
various depictions of like um you know the program like the the military program making the the planes and stuff um apparently there was uh korean forced labor that went into building many of those planes that is not mentioned at all in the film mm-hmm. um and you That's know true but we don't see the, Izaki of the himself says what's up yeah sorry sorry i'm, I'm litigating a, a 12 year old uh argument so no no needs to <laughs> every day actually go down it Sure. I'm just I'm just telling you what I was reading from the yeah. from the Wikipedia yeah, yeah, yeah. as far yeah. as the controversy around it. Um but uh he Izaki himself said that he has, quote, very complex feelings about World War II since he is a pacifist and he felt that like there was some arrogance out of militaristic Japan, but also that the the plane that was designed, the zero plane Oh, represented one of the few things we Japanese could be proud of. Mm-hmm. They were a truly formidable presence, and so were the pilots who flew them. Which, and is I, a, I think that's so like definitely that, a complex feeling one can mm-hmm. have about yeah. a warplane, right? And that's 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 like the bones of this movie. The 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 mackerel bones uh, supporting this movie is like it's bad that we're using these for war, but also, God, that's a good plane. <laughs> I want yeah. to tell everybody now to go watch Godzilla minus zero. Or it's on my minus zero. It's on my list. One. <laughs> I didn't Godzilla know there's a new Godzilla movie coming out, and then I saw you tweet about it, and someone else mentioned it to me within like two hours of each other, and I was like, wait, wait, wait. There's a new Godzilla movie. I enjoyed the and my letterbox and over one weekend was like Boy and Heron or one weekend was all Godzilla and the next weekend was all Boy and the Heron. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is like, I'm not just bringing that up because I love Godzilla and because that movie is my so far my number two of the entire year. Um, but I do also think that in a way it is grappling with this legacy of guilt, like survival guilt and also like responsibility like, what responsibility do people have in wartime and what responsibility do they have to, like, their family and their people mm-hmm. and a government that is not necessarily taking care of them? Mm-hmm. Um, so that, I think, is also a pretty deeply Japanese sensibility to be mm-hmm. taking to a piece of post-war media. Well, and, and you know, we were saying that this this was very personal. Miyazaki's father was a, uh airplane engineer during World War II. Yes. So, you know, there's that. And then, you know, going way back to Totoro, uh, his mom had spinal tuberculosis when he was a kid. She recovered and lived a long life, but, like, was in the hospital all the time when he was a kid. So, like, those those elements of, like, you know, a slightly distant engineering father, sick mother, kind of come into fruition here in The Wind Rises. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, sick wife, obsessive aerospace engineer father um but yeah Yeah, i I don't know maybe oh go ahead i was just gonna say it it, in a lot of ways like this is why i think it is interesting when paired with the boy in the heron like we're not gonna get too deep into it because we haven't all seen it yet but it's like the wind rises is the literal story and then the boy in the heron is like the metaphorical 
story, mm-hmm. but I think they're both kind of telling they're both telling a similar story and grappling with very similar things, but working in very different spaces mm-hmm. to do so. Hmm. Yeah, it's hard because um Makito has a has a less the question of culpability doesn't really lie with Mahito. Sure. He's what, like 12? Yes. Maybe a little bit older. Um, <laughs> but the question of how do we live, you know, does when, like, your life is affected by events that are bad. Like, well, and Mahito definitely does end up grappling with the question of legacy. Yes, definitely. And like, what responsibility does he have to a specific legacy? Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. Well, it's also interesting that I definitely enjoyed both uh, The Wind Rises and The Boy and the Heron more than the two of you did. Uh, the two mm-hmm. of you being the two of you who saw The Boy and the Heron. Uh, yep. And I am deeply wondering if it's gendered. <laughs> um, <laughs> if it's gendered. That's actually... That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and it's like, I, 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 like, and I will say Spirited Away remains my number one Miyazaki movie. Mm-hmm. And I think Mononoke remains my number two. But like fighting for the three and four slot are Boy and Hare and Wind Rises, partly recency bias. And mm-hmm. then Howl's Moving Castle and also Totoro. So like the problem is I have a tie for the number three spot and it's a four-way tie. Cause like, <laughs> again, it's impossible to rank uh, Miyazaki. It's impossible. But like of that, of those, of that, like, you know, four-way tie, two of them are, are the wind rises and the boy and the heron. Um, and, it, and both of those did not connect as hard for you. So I, I, I am wondering how much of that is a, a, a pure like gender thing, especially because the wind rises is like, Dude dedicated to his work and his sick fiance and then wife, whose role is to be an angel and then die. Like, you know, you which, which is which dying. is a tough. That's a tough uh, trope. It's a tough trope. I uh, like. She's a real Beth uh, from from Little <laughs> Women. You know, she like is, she, she is she, a real Beth. She she's a perfect sick person and then dies. Yeah. and it's sad. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, the boy and the know. heron. Sorry, go ahead. Martha. I was just gonna. The only thing I was gonna say is I don't know that I've read enough or any reviews from women or women identifying reviewers to be able to like make a qualitative statement on that. Right. I, but now I, I am gonna be looking out for it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna be looking out for it, but I mean, Makito also like his doesn't feel quite like a like a coming of age as a young man story like there's definitely grappling with the legacy that he has to take on but yeah i i think there'd be no problem gender swapping him right like, i don't think that would change a single line of dialogue other than you know gen- gendered words right um but but i, I am kind of curious i don't think you get the scene with the boys school yeah i don't yeah. think oh, you, you get that not get scene school, and and, and and the important follow-up scene Right. Yeah. <laughs> because the follow-up scene is pivotal to what yeah. happens later. So yeah. I guess yeah, you that's are actually... That's, that is a good not, point. 
not to make sweeping generalizations about my gender, but I no, 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 no. no. Martha, you're you're totally right. Neither, neither <laughs> the the instigating scene nor the follow up scene would happen. Cult, just culturally, yeah. In that mm-hmm. time, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Big, uh, big questions. I do want to see Boy in the Heron again. I just like yes kind of need a little bit of time before i go back i really liked the soundtrack which is not a surprise but like i think my favorite part of the movie was the soundtrack there are moments in it that i deeply loved Mm -hmm. um i just don't know that it hung together for me as strongly as his other stuff like it it occupies a very spirited away space for Mm -hmm. me but spirited away is Coherent. Spirited Away is a much better movie. <laughs> I, 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 I saw a, um I saw a Reddit post that explained the plot of the 1930s book How Do You Live, and apparently that helps bridge the I think I, Martha you were talking on your letterbox review of like there being an emotional jump that wasn't quite there in the movie, and apparently knowledge of that book might help bridge that jump. Like it is not mm-hmm. a requirement of understanding the movie, but might help. Like, an audience familiar with the book might have a bit more of a, like, ah, moment. Um, mm-hmm. Well, without spoiling it, one of the characters makes an emotional leap that I didn't buy into. Right, right. And I and, did not... And yeah. knowing that that character earlier read the book, which had been given to him by his mom, might might have helped make that emotional leap more coherent. Um, oh, maybe. But but I don't, like, A, I don't know, and B, it's a very valid criticism to say, like, well, that book matters in Japan and not here, so doesn't work here in the same way. Like, it doesn't work emotionally, and if it doesn't work emotionally, then it doesn't work, you know? I know. I'd like to read the book, because The Wind Rises is also, like, the the loose biography parts for Jiro Horikoshi are from one are one piece, and then there is a book, I think, that is called The Wind Rises, about someone who accompanies their wife to a sanatorium and that's Mm. where they got the rest of it Mm. and i want to read that book because i hate myself and (laughs) i cannot find it in english anywhere it is impossible because every time i try to look for the wind rises it's like oh you want the miyazaki movie and i'm like no give me the source material it's it is called the wind has risen the wind has risen ah so give that i mean it still might only be available in japanese but like give it a give that a try I think it is interesting how much, like, how many adaptations Miyazaki has made. Because mm-hmm. they're not even things I, like, I thought a lot of his were uh, originals. I didn't know. Yeah, but, like, about... some, a lot of them are, like, I mean, The Wind Rises, like, technically I mean, they're an adaptation, but yeah. also, like, right, right. the adaptation is, I don't know, I read a book, and then I went totally different. And um, then I wrote a fan fiction. So and that's fine. That's perfectly valid. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, apparently he would very frequently just like wave something in a Sao Takahata's face and be like, read this thing. It's fascinating. <laughs> and then they would make a movie. <laughs> like what a way to live. Like I think that part of Miyazaki's um strength as a filmmaker and why his movies last so long is because he makes things he himself is interested in. Like mm-hmm. I and I think that kind of very personal like i don't mean self-centered in a bad way but self-centered in like my core is at this film no really it helps make them more universal it's what i was mm-hmm. jokingly shouting half an hour ago about disney movies have a perspective have a have, vision yeah have a voice come to the For table God's with sake. something other than let's make some money 
other than 10 board members who were all like money what's the most what is the what the widest demographic we can cast our net to that will please none of them didn't you always wonder about the genesis of uh can you wish upon a star no well give us money and we might tell you like that's not a right? movie that's not a that's story not a that's not a story uh anyone else want to weigh in <laughs> <laughs> On a movie you haven't seen yet. <laughs> or or on The Wind Slash Rises. The Wind Rises, because we kind of took over with like, oh, the boy, the heron is a companion piece. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> David? Uh, David? Oh, without, <laughs> without prolonging the podcast even further, uh, I thought this movie was also perfect. I and like as much as I love beard Miyazaki with the forest creatures um I don't know I was really into this one and I think I I, I first of all think this is the movie that Oppenheimer should have been <laughs> um so I loved Oppenheimer I, but I also loved this so I really did not like Oppenheimer. I was gonna say, interesting. Listened, we need to. We I've need listened. to have a. We need to have a. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> I've listened to your Barbenheimer episodes, so nice. I know exactly what ba- what David thinks about Oppenheimer. Nice. Uh, I he thought Martha. it was incredibly boring. And <laughs> I wasn't bored for a minute of this one. I thought it was really beautiful and um, works both as as we discussed already. Um, both looking at like the culpability of somebody who makes machines, but also as somebody who makes art, and um, lots of really been interesting things about that. And like, um, characters aren't, you know, the characters themselves are flawed in a lot of ways, and I love that in a movie. Um, you definitely wish that. Uh, Jiro had chosen to spend more time with his wife and less time working, but like that that itself is a complicated and difficult choice to make, I'm sure, and um, makes for a richer movie when you've got that sort of hanging over the decision-making of the characters. And mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I thought I thought there was just a whole lot of... And again, maybe this is recency bias. I literally watched this, this afternoon. Same! <laughs> slash at... I mean, at four I, in the morning. I, I but I thought it, I thought it was really complex and really beautiful. And um, I don't know. I love I love all the dream sequences with the uh, Caproni, the Count, as well. Count Caproni, and uh, you know, just looking at like <laughs> these massive, crazy like you know, 1920s aircraft when people were still trying to figure out how to make something that can fly and what that even would look like. And Listen, um, if we if we take a boat and we put like five wings on it, it'll fly. Yeah. <laughs> right, I love that. I love that giant monstrosity. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I thought it was really beautiful. And I don't know. I'm going to be thinking about it a lot for, for a while, I'm sure. David, I would very much like it if you could watch Porco Rosso and then get back to me. 
That's what everybody has told me. Is that if I you would want really... more Italian planes, yeah. Porco Rosso is the answer. And I would really like it if you could watch the English dub version of it. Because make that um, one uh do Michael Keaton. Oh, Michael Keaton, yeah. Is the voice of Porco Rosso. God bless. I haven't actually seen Porco Rosso, even though it's been on my list forever. <laughs> and I should tell you, Porco um, Rosso it's... is a pig. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. Yes, correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it falls very neatly, I think, between, like, the surreality of Spirited Away and the, like, literal beauty of engineering of the wind rises and then is just i know that calling it a very good adventure story is not as big of a sell for you but the main character is a pig so <laughs> like <laughs> it, as there a are points yeah. and I've a had, quick um... scan a quick scan of the wiki tells me there's a line better a pig than a fascist so oh, yes. hey! you know oh yes we can I've, all we can uh, all I've get had many people that. tell me that I've had many people tell me that Porco Rosso would probably be my favorite Miyazaki. And um, Kristen, if you have not seen it yet, I also think that you would enjoy it. I've even heard of it, so. It is very fun. It is like is 100% something... good times. Do I, do I have, so I don't have to see sad pig things happen? No. No, he's a human oh, thank pig. Oh God. He's like he's a, a hero. Digimon. He's like he's... a humanoid pig, like a Digimon. Yeah, he's, he's an anime pig. He's a pig man. He's a, a man, man with he's a man with a pig's head. He wears a he's trench a coat and a hat. He's a oh, hero for like hire. <laughs> no, no, no. So so think think of Casablanca and then just picture Rick with a pig head and a mustache and you're there. <laughs> and but he fl- and he flies a plane. Yeah. Great. It needs to be terrifying, but if <laughs> you think I will enjoy it, it's worth a shot. I also people say that Actually, I've heard mixed reviews of whether or not I would like Princess Mononoke, but I I want to check it out because I would. I've I think everyone reviews. would love Princess Mononoke. I would like you to watch it, but if you don't like it, I would like you to not tell me that. Okay, <laughs> I can do that. I can tell you forever that I never got around to it, and Perfect. you'll think, did she actually get around to it, and she's lying to me, or did she never get around to it? We and don't I, know. The, the I will never ask clarifying questions. Okay. <laughs> the existence of Princess Mononoke is why I don't believe there ever needs to be a filmed Zelda movie, because one already exists, and it's called Princess Mononoke. I don't know uh, that I'd call it exactly a Zelda movie. No, there's more, there's some industrialism happening there, but like... Ashihata is kind of Link, and Mononoke is kind of Zelda, and we got big forest spirits. Like we got kind some of. We got some Korox, you know. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you another Koroks. chance. I'm gonna give you another chance at that character's name. Ashihita. Mm, one more chance. Yeah. I said Ashihita and Ashihata, and I don't know if I have a third one in me. What we're looking for is Ashitaka. Oh dang. And the legend. In of my mind, is... I kind of call him Link. So. <laughs> One of my you're f- favorites. You're fired, actually. <laughs> Was that an excellent note to attend on yeah. <laughs> Miyazaki episode? On. Not remembering. <laughs> this is why I have a wing and not a co-membership in the house of Miyazaki uh, that the two of you have. <laughs> um, thank you, you all. Know your place. I'm, I'm over thank there you playing all. with my model airplanes and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you all for agreeing to record this extremely self-indulgent three-hour podcast. <laughs> it's only going to be two and a half. Yeah. <laughs> we have to cut out the bathroom break. It's fine. Um. So we normally close out with where you can find us on the internet um you can find me at all the places at magical martha including tinyletter.com backslash magical martha although tiny letter is going away soon so i have to figure out how my occasional newsletter is going to continue on um because i've been watching all of the disney movies in release order and chronicling Woo! that experience yeah. and i would like to continue telling people about that Wait, i need to do a friend of mine is doing the exact same thing at the same time i need to what i know i need to you, you gotta send me that again later yeah i got really mad at all of the live action movies and i was like why can't you just make a two-dimensional animated movie anymore right. why can't you just do like people would go nuts people would go absolutely nuts if you released a hand-drawn 90-minute classic disney film about right a now. boy yeah. and a, scr a scrappy heron who guides at him through a mystical adventure <laughs> Like, uh, except like... that this was not a musical. So <laughs> no. I um, still stand by my statement. Yes. Um, and you can follow our show at all the places at DYDYH podcast. Um, you can listen to my other podcast, Love Ya, which releases on alternating release days from this one where Pete's wife, Marn, and I watch a romantic comedy or a teen movie and then dissect it in detail. Our last episode is lost. It was eaten. <laughs> it was eaten by garage fickle band. Apple technology gods. Um, uh, but our next movie is going to be about uh, the, I think it's an Amazon Prime original, Xmas. So check that out in a couple of weeks. I should tell Marn that that's what's happening because I don't know if she knows that that's uh, next on her docket. She was the one that suggested it, so I cool. hope she does. It's called Xmas. Good to know. Yeah, although I I also frequently forget what movies we're watching as soon as I say them out loud, so I don't blame her. Is this EX Miss because it's a fun pun? Correct. Heck yeah. Uh, you can find me on social media. I'm uh, you know, a, a rat going down on the sinking ship known as Twitter. At Pico3000, P-I-K-O-3000, trying to cut that off by instead switching all my efforts to Blue Sky. Uh, you can follow me on both Blue Sky and Letterboxd at uh, P Romberg, P-R-H-O-M-B-E-R-G. Um, oh yeah, follow me on Letterboxd. Yeah. It's a good time. It's the best social media platform right now. It's the best social media platform. Uh, catching up, David, guys. Where are you at? You can find us at Blue Sky and Twitter uh, at Catching Up David, and our podcast is uh, CatchingUpDavid.Podbean.com. Yeah, we host on SoundCloud, but are available at all of your podcast catchers of choice. Um, our uh, next, as are, as are we. Yes, yes. Our our next. Did you do your homework episode is going to be our year end wrap up. So we'll be talking about all of our best of 2023, although that episode will not release until a couple weeks into 2024. So I still have time to get in all of my year end stuff. Listen, believe in you. Ferrari doesn't drop until Christmas Day. Will right, that make my that top a... 10? Who knows? It's Michael You're Mann. saying that is a joke. <laughs> <laughs> for you, for me, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> 
It might make my top 10 movies only list. Uh, we'll see. And uh, we are, and by we, I mean I, <laughs> I'm very behind on editing <laughs> our podcast. So uh, we're just getting to our uh, Halloween episodes. Hey! Uh, no, you're not behind. You're exactly in time for Nightmare Before Christmas season, which runs yeah. from Halloween till Christmas. So Merry I'm, Halloween. Absolutely. I'm oh, very excited up, about. Next up is I'm, the purge. After that is it 2017, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the next things you can expect from us. Merry Christmas to me. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> what were you saying, Martha? Oh, I'm very excited to hear what David thinks about the purge. <laughs> as a as a political <laughs> idea, right? <laughs> <laughs> we have thoughts on the purge. My thesis, my thesis statement about the purge is that it is a modern folk horror tale. <laughs> I'd accept. Forward that. to hearing what you think of our thoughts. That's yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I want to know. Also, it chapter one is one of my comfort movies. Take that as you will. Oh, same, 100%. So, like, I get it. I get it. All right. I think that we, I think that this is a sign that we should uh, wrap things up for. Do do the three of you want to plug any individual uh, accounts or projects, or are you uh, happy with just plugging the Catching Up David uh, handle in general? Um, I'll plug mine. I am on the dying ship known as Twitter. Still Twitter, nothing else. Yes, um, uh, it is the Sears Tower, it is Comiskey Park, and it is Twitter. It's it's Twitter. Uh, at Hallie Koontz, H-A-L-L-I-E-K-O-O-N-T-Z. It's just my name. I haven't made the jump to Blue Sky yet, despite having a referral code. I just never did anything with it. Um, maybe I'll find my way there someday. I can send you a fresh one if you want, and I'm sure Martha also has fresh ones. I got five of them sitting there. Holy shit. Same. I will see if I... It, it was David who sent me the first one. Sorry, David. I never did anything with it. I don't know if they expire. Okay, that's good. I don't, that's good I don't believe they do. Yay! Oh. Okay, then I should be okay. But I'm not there yet, so Twitter's the best place to reach me. Um, Shout at me about animated movies. It's fun. You can't find me anywhere because I don't exist. Because you're smart. You were the smart one who decided <laughs> to not engage. She's kind of right. No, when I say that, Martha, I just saw your reply to my retweeting the fact that Nimona and Mutant Mayhem were not nominated for um, the best animated movie, which is it's insanity. And I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil something for our top ten of the year episode that is gonna maybe make Pete mad at me? Question mark. Is Nimona I on thought- your uh, list? Uh, it might be just outside of the top 10, but mostly I thought Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was better than Spider-Verse. Really? Yes. I thought Mutant Mayhem was a masterpiece, to be clear. Just like yes. a full-on masterpiece. Like, I love that movie so much. David and I saw it together. Did. We've been on a turtle kick. Because the turtles are cool. Don't kick dude. turtles! A turtle kick. Miyazaki Whoa, will be so mad at you! No! We would never <laughs> kick the turtles, especially not when they're babies! Not when they're just the baby version yeah, the themselves. Cutest, the cutest, the cutest babies. Just the best. I thought that on, movie was absolutely I thought they were wonderful. teenagers. <laughs> Shut up, Pete. <laughs> and it's not, it is 
an uncomprehensible slight that that movie was not nominated. Yeah, it's insane. Literal insanity. I saw like, that was- and I was like... I can't deal with this right now. Right, like I, this is this news is too much for me today. Martha, I should probably watch this then before our top ten because I haven't seen it yet. And uh, it's so fun. If we're, if, if, so if, so if we're gonna fun. if we're gonna be sharpening the long knives over it, uh, I should at least come prepared. I will go to war over this movie. Like I will, I'll fight anyone who doesn't think it should have been nominated, such as the Academy. <laughs> One of the we'll best see. soundtracks. Ah, agreed. Absolutely. We'll see if it makes it into the Oscar pool. We'll we'll it, see. It's freaking better. It I might won't. just I might just lose it if it doesn't. Like it. Per, per, oh, like, it, there's so many reasons. It's not going to like. I it mean, has maybe. a better chance. It has a better chance than Nimona, I think. Yes, and I, I should say that I also I also really liked Nimona. I just didn't. Yeah. It. It. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't watched Nimona yet. Nimona's Netflix, which is one of many reasons that it will probably not be nominated. No, but I also, like, I was really mad when Klaus wasn't nominated. <gasps> Klaus was so good! So freaking good, Martha! It was so freaking good! <laughs> I have the art book, and I was, like, rioting when Toy Story 4 won, which I liked a lot. I liked Toy Story 4 a lot, but Klaus deserved that one. Yeah, Klaus was incredible. I also don't think Wendell and Wilde got nominated, which, again... I don't think I've seen that. Insanity. It was Henry Selick's new one last year. <laughs> Okay. Um, well, it's great. It's got Key and Peele voicing weird little hair demons. Ah, good for it's them. Very good. Good for them. All right. I'm uh, sorry this wind up is taking so long because I had to mention. <laughs> thank you guys and so <laughs> much. This was so fun. Um, Absolutely. Always looking and, forward and, to these collaborations. Not only was it a delight to, to chat with you all for going on almost three hours, it was also a delight to, quote-unquote, have to, uh, rewatch a bunch of Miyazaki's. <laughs> um, so oh, thank, no. thank you for the, the homework that I, w- that I had to do of watch some of the best movies ever made. <laughs> Just an utter delight. I don't, know, I don't know if we will get another movie from Miyazaki. Um... But he's losing, he's I, losing his sight, among other things, and that yes, makes it well, hard. And something that is interesting about um, The Boy and the Heron, and then after this, I promise that we're done, it is the first movie that he actually shares, like, storyboarding and character mm-hmm. designs, and, like, like where he actually gave animation. up... He gave up a substantial amount of control to a mm-hmm. team of other animators... Because he, at this point, is just not physically able to do the insane amount of work that he is right. sort of known for doing on his stuff. Because he is definitely the quintessential, like, I'm just going to do it myself. The, right. the animators he's giving up the credit to are, like, 50-year-old, like, Ghibli, you know, veterans. He's not giving right. up to, like, you know, to like, the young guns are 30 years younger than him, which means they're 50 or 60. But like Miyazaki is still that one person on the group project. Who's oh, yeah. Doing oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and everyone's like, please, please, He's we like, need credit. I've done too. it. I've done it five times myself. It's like, mm, not exactly what I wanted. Let's just do it myself and then it'll be perfect. Uh, but yeah, no, he had to give that up a little bit this time. So. Um, but yes, yeah, so all of which is to say, I don't know if we will get another movie from him. I eagerly anticipate it if we do. Um, regardless of how I ultimately decide that I feel about The Boy and the Heron, I think all of his projects are worth 
time and attention and investment. Mm -hmm. 100%. Mm -hmm. Well, that seems like a perfect place to end it. Uh, We end our show with thank you so much for listening. Class dismissed. Do you guys have any pithy uh, uh, off off ramp? (laughs) You just say goodbye. Goodbye, Howie. (laughs) Adios, David. Goodbye, Kristen. Bye, Pete. Uh, I'm gonna do sayonara. <laughs> I should I should I should let Martha I should let Martha who took Japanese do sayonara, but no. I'm like, gonna white boy remember. it. All I know is Spanish. <laughs> Goodbye, was, Martha. Goodbye, David. <laughs> you were gonna do sayonara. <laughs> Alright. Goodbye, listeners. Class dismissed. I was in Duolingo's top 2% of Japanese learners last year. Whoa! Hey, Martha!